is a story. A story about an event. An event that changed our world. This story begins as most do, with a dream. And as the dream grew, so did the legends. Legends are larger than life giants. And warriors who brought the world to their feet. Legends of men made from iron. And others who braved ladders that reached the sky. Stories of the dead rising. And fearless leaders who are mightier than you could ever imagine. A place where fire touched the stars and millions came together all for one glorious night. And with these moments frozen in time, the world wonders, what's next? Now, on this worldwide stage, you ready? in this modern-day Coliseum, Let's go. the journey begins For those of you that wanna know what we're all about. to immortality. 10% luck, 20% skill, 15% concentrated power of will, 5% pleasure, 50% There will be kings and empires, revolutions. A beast will roar once more. Legacy will face a phenom. And through it all, a great one will rise again. This is 10% luck, 20% skill, 15% concentrated power of will, 5% pleasure, 50% It's time for a new story. A new chapter. A new legend to begin. And now, Snickers presents the greatest live event in entertainment. WrestleMania. And all the while this is going on at the end, JBL won't be won't stop saying that it's the craziest thing he's ever seen. It's the craziest thing he's ever seen. You're commentating on WrestleMania. That's the craziest thing I've ever seen. You being champion for almost a year. That's crazier than this. God, what a load of turd. What a load of turd. And then we get the fucking kickoff panel. Jesus. <laughs> That's indeed correct. That's what's next. The <laughs> kickoff panel hosted by Renee Young with Corey Graves, Lita, and Booker T. They uh, talk about, they do a series of sound bites with no real meaning and then we move yeah. on. <laughs> and we move on to something that I know both of you will love because it's the Andre the Giant Memorial oh, Battle Royal up there. <laughs> <laughs> I even forgot. 
God! <laughs> so the uh, participants in this one are Baron Corbin, Adam Rose, Bo Dallas, Curtis Axel, Damien Sandow, Darren Young, DDP, Fandango, Goldust, Heath Slater, Jack Swagger, Kane, Connor, Mark Henry, R-Truth, Tatanka, The Big Show, Tyler Breeze, Victor, and special guest entrant, Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> There's a um, musical entrance for Mark Henry Kane, DDP, Big Show, and Shaquille O'Neal. They're the people who get their own entrances. Everybody else is relegated to the jobber status, as is probably the right place for them, quite frankly. Um, my my main comment during this is, where the hell did Tatanka come from? I didn't realise he returned yes. again. <laughs> And then um, this one ends when, after Cade eliminates Bo Dallas and someone, uh, Corbin attacks Cade from behind and throws him out to take the win. There are then loud NXT chants with Corbin celebrating. I don't expect you to talk for very long, but Matt, what did you think of this one? I can, oh, honestly, I can feel the fucking blood going to my head now. Just Jesus Christ. This was just such a fuck you to, to the middle of... After that shit show that was taken and shame, they wheel out the absolute nothing Andre the Giant Bat. Who the fuck wanted to go see that? I'm sorry, but I find it hard to believe there's a paying fan out there who said, you know what, Dad, for WrestleMania, you know, for Christmas, all I want is a WrestleMania ticket so we can see the Andre the Giant Battle Royal. There is fucking nobody out there. Who has said that? I don't believe it. I refuse to believe it. This was shit. There was no point of it existing. I mean, God, they, they wanted Big Show and Shaq to do something together for bloody years. They had a face-off, got eliminated in seconds and hugged. Who could possibly give a shit less? Baron fucking Corbin from this. Baron fucking Corbin. Come on. I I believe him as well. Like you haven't, you yeah. his face is a shame. Oh, he's probably like in bits about this. I, I, I can't. Yeah. I can't That's oh, it. I'll do. Oh, oh man, save him from himself. First of all, Baron Corbin won this. He is still with the company. He has held multiple titles. Oh, he has, no, no. Like this is what this kind of thing is for. So the position on the card. Obviously, what this is designed to do is this is designed to give the crowd a break. They've just had 30 minutes. They're about to get something quite exciting afterwards. So they want to take this crowd down and they want to give someone a bump. I have zero problem with the result of this. I do have a major problem with what you said about Shaq in the Big Show. Like, they fucking hug and hand, shake hands and they're laughing after they both get eliminated. And I'm like... I'm not going to say that they would have had a classic match <laughs> at any point in time, but you have immediately taken that away by having them be pals outside. And I'm like, what? This is fucking stupid. There's a double choke slam, I believe. Michael Cole says, boom shakalaka. <laughs> NBA Jam, tournament edition. <laughs> oh, lovely old job. Fandango does some dancing and then gets eliminated by the big show. Amazing. I know that you're angry about this, but this is what you need. <laughs> the Fandango did a little dance. People sang his song. He got yeah. lobbed out by the big show. Yeah, yeah. they started to sing his song until they just made him look like a complete and utter geek just by chucking him out and going, ha ha, fuck, you know, fuck you for supporting them, you losers. 
<laughs> yeah, they wanted you. They wanted you to know that he's done, mate. He's done. Um, but to Tinky's point, to Tanker's there. Oh, okay, he, I just, he was in this thing. Yeah, I didn't know yeah. Where, where he came from? I didn't know where he came. From. He just suddenly <laughs> to Tanker's back. Yeah. Nearly fifty. I think he's fifty years old by this point. This is the so it's the following month's pay per view. But Matt Hardy has a mystery partner. We've mentioned this on the podcast uh, before. Yeah. And it's to Tanker. And the crowd make no noise. Probably because most of them are too young to know who he is. Yeah. But yeah, it's, this is your classic doll battle royal because it's just not particularly exciting. What I don't understand is that there are two cells in this match Shaq and DDP. Sorry to Tanker, you were third, but you're not quite as high up. They get rid of them too, e- too early. Just have them there to the last five or six. Build some belief that one of them may win, and there's a little bit of interest. Instead, you've got fucking Kane eliminating Darren Young, it was, and Bo Dallas at the end. And then Corbin goes behind, and it's like, oh yeah, great, Corbin wins. Like I said, Corbin gets a lot out of this, (laughs) and it's worth it. And I have no problem with where it is on the card. The main problem I have with it is that Battle Royals aren't particularly exciting, and that's kind of it. But this film, 10 minutes on the card, a lot smoother than 10 minutes of The Undertaker and Shane McMahon did, for damn sure. Just the, the size of the bollocks on them, that even say after that, we're going to put the Andre the Giant Battle Royal on next. What? Yeah, but no. Matt, what do you put on there after? A fucking intermission. Anything would have been better than that. That's terrible. This... This got Adam Rose on a WrestleMania card. Fuck it. I'm, I'm just going to say it. If you aren't good enough to get on WrestleMania other than the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal, you shouldn't be there. I'm going to take this in another direction because, um, oh man, I think you've imagined this to tank about Hardy thing because I cannot find any evidence what? of it whatsoever. So I'm looking on cage match on Tatanka's profile and the last match he had in WWE was this Andre Giant Memorial Battle Royal and there are no matches that he's in between that and his run in 2006-2007 so no, it, no, it, no it's No Way Out 2006 yes. it's Eminem versus Matt Hardy and Tatanka well that's 10 years before <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah just after wasn't it <laughs> okay well at least at least that's cleared that up Hello and welcome to the Random Wrestling Review. I'm Ben Spindler and today we're covering WrestleMania 32. We're on a little bit of a come down, some might say. We're on a little bit of a hangover from two weeks ago where we covered WrestleMania 31. That did a very lofty uh, little rating, you might might remember. And today, I'm sure we're going to repeat that with WrestleMania 32. Joining me today is, first of all, the polar bear, Matt Roberts. Get ready for some excitement today, gents. You, you're doing that salute so vociferously now that I'm worried you're <laughs> going to put your arm out at some point. <laughs> I feel the... Well, just in case anybody hasn't realised, this is the first time that myself and old man have been on a podcast and I don't know how long, so wanking arm is at the ready for saluting. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. So, yeah, that's already announced the, our other guest today. It is the man himself, old man, Sam Kerry. The man himself. How about that? 
But, th- but just to reiterate, uh, as I said to you before we came on air, nothing prepared for that intro, so that would be why you got that particular combination of things said about you. I don't know. I think I feel like you would have found another way to say exactly that. The feeling would have still been the same, which is nice. So thanks. I'm just going back through our t- my timeline to see if I can remember when the last time two- last time you two were on together. Oof. And I can confirm it was in September of last year, Unforgiven oh. 2003. Wow, wow. That, that is over. So this is October the 2nd, 2023. Ooh. Over a year, Matt. Good God. The world has just changed. How much change yeah. has happened in that year? My God. You know what hasn't changed? What's that? I'm still a bit of a cunt. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I've heard some of the uh, some of the stuff that you've talked about over the last couple of months, so I, I can confirm <laughs> it's true. I mean, a bit of a cunt. I think that's understating it. I, mean, I see the play in the hand. Oh my god, it's the understater. <laughs> <laughs> also, I'm, I'm confused. I'm, I'm wondering what the hell's happened to Matt. He's, he's like jovial today. He's all like, yeah. you know, he's, he's a jolly kind of guy, but he's got he's got an added added mm. level of energy about him today. I, I, I don't know why either, but you know, it's just this. This do this, and you know, in fact, use a use a mini quick, not even rant, but just a little sort of being grateful. There have been over the last couple of weeks, months, so many wrestling shows, whether they've been good, whether they've been utter shit, <laughs> whether they've been excellent. A couple of days ago, I was like, my God, there is so much happening in the world of wrestling constantly. And to the point of, I was like, you know what? Just shut up and, and enjoy it. You know, there's lots to look forward to. There's been lots of shows. I've got shows coming up. I've been to shows recently. It's like, you know what? Let, let, let's go with some positivity for a fucking change. I'm going to remind you of that as we go through the review of this show. <laughs> <laughs> good point. I'll tell you what, now, that is a really interesting viewpoint because I think that the times that I have been as invested as possible in anything is when I enjoy it the most. So, like, when I... I know it's different because it was the Attitude Era and it was a great time and there was Val Venus. But, like, <laughs> when I was, like, probably 13 to... Well, to be honest, probably 20, and I was really invested in wrestling. That's when I enjoyed it the most. The time that I was most invested in football was a time when I was probably 17 to 21, I think, when uh, me and a guy, Nick Barnett, who may or may not listen to the show, if he doesn't, cunt. Uh, we were going home and away to watch Bristol City, not the TV show. Mm-hmm. And that was my most enjoyable time I've ever had watching football as well. So I'm glad you're embracing it, Matt, because you are a chick- miserable cunt. <laughs> There's a chicken and egg thing there, isn't there, surely, which is that if you're invested, you are more likely to enjoy it. But also if you're more mm. likely, if you're enjoying it, you're more likely to get invested and then want to yeah. invest more time. So it's just oh the quality as well. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, there's millions of things that God knows we could pick about, you know, shows that have happened. But, you know, like I said, I was there all in. Loved it at time of my life. You know, I've got New Japan and uh, Royal Quest. I think it's three uh, in London in a couple of weeks. That'll probably be uh, that'll probably be great. Wrestle Dream was on last night. I'm gonna watch that. That's probably great. There's been you know loads of WWE shows that have been great. SmackDown's been good. This there's, there's just so much stuff. Today, of course, we are looking at WrestleMania 32. Expectations. Let's get into it, shall we? Oh man, let's start with yours. Things I knew about this show. It had Triple H and Roman Reigns. Things I didn't know about this show. Every single thing else. <laughs> I could not remember fuck all about this show until I started watching it and then I saw the set and I was like ah yeah 
yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, cool. But little peep behind the curtain. In our WhatsApp group, Alex, or Rockstar in particular, has been going on about how bloody shit this is, he's been <laughs> saying. And I was a bit, I was already swayed by it, but he does put me over quite a lot. So I have a bit of respect for him. <laughs> so, yeah, I was a bit like, oh, this is going to be fucking awful. And I saw the runtime and I was like, bloody heck, I'm glad. So I watched this. I think I watched this a month ago because we've had a really busy month. And I was like, right, I'm going to get it in, get it out, put it back in again, get it out again and again. Took me about four goes to watch the whole show because it's a beast. That's not a reflection on the show, I hasten to add, at this stage, because I do, in an ideal world, I watch it through all the way, even if it's a big bag of dicks. But my expectations were basically, in a roundabout way, what I'm saying, so I was expecting this to be fucking awful. (laughs) I have very, very, very loose memories of the Triple H room arrangement. Room. (laughs) (laughs) The what? Walmart! The the Roman Range Rover. (laughs) The Triple H Roman Reigns match. And remember it not being good at all. And very much being in the vein of Triple H's WrestleMania main events being absolute tripe if they're one-on-one. So, yeah, wasn't particularly looking... Well, I was looking forward to this because I've been looking forward to doing this episode because it was me and Matt. But I wasn't looking forward to watching the show because I thought it was going to be a big bag of sweaty dicks. Well, well, why am I not surprised, you piece of shit? <laughs> Sorry, just coming back to Old Man's reference from The Rock, which he said earlier on, and he, he thought I hadn't picked up on, but I had, don't worry. Matt, what were your expectations? I'm going to have to try and come up with something like put the bunny back in the box later now. Um, <laughs> the, the, this is weird, you know, the, the, the smile just slowly drops on my face, and, and the energy now just fades from my body completely, because I think to call this show a big bag of dicks... Is, is probably the, the polite way in terms of uh, how much I was looking forward to it. It's mostly because we've I, I knew that this was it. We've now entered the the era of the ridiculously fucking long WrestleManias. And we haven't even seen all of them. I rewatched them yet, but I hate it. There is nothing that I enjoy that I want to do for five hours straight. Nothing. And I challenge you to come up with something. I don't want to do it for five hours straight without a break in between. Nothing. And this show is just no exceptions. And if I didn't have a nap in between the many viewings that I had for this show, we potentially, and still might, depending on how I feel throughout the rest of the show reviewing it, we did get dangerously close to that zero again. Wow. Well, I look forward to seeing that come out at the end. Right, so my expectations... So as I kind of mentioned on last week's show, this was the WrestleMania that stopped me watching for about three or four years. This is how bad it was. And I think my memory of it was that not only was it a bad show, but it was just it was surrounded by just a lot of bad booking, a lot of bad WWE in general. We were still kind of doing the authority thing at this point. We're still kind of there. And we'd been there for like three years or something stupid by this moment. And I was just completely fatigued by it. Not only that, but the previous October, I'd decided to stop working for wrestle talk just had enough of wrestling in general to be honest but that didn't stop me writing some reviews for myself for like the random wrestling review website which is what this podcast is named after and i did that for a few months i was quite enjoying watching a bit of everything so i watched all the wwe pay-per-views but nothing else i watched the uh, tna pay-per-views still going at the time i watched uh, all the nxt specials i watched new japan um the main new japan shows each month i watched even a couple of ring of honor shows as 
watching Progress. I was watching a bit of ICW, like just a lot of different stuff, but only the big shows for each one of the companies. And then we got around to this and I was like, no, I can't. I just can't do it anymore. I just cannot do it. And I, I will go into some of why that is the case as we go through the, the show, because it's not all about quality either. There's there's other things that, that bothered me about certain parts of the show and, and the, the hype and the, the sort of build up to this show. So for that reason, I was actually quite looking forward to it because I wanted to go back and see you know i don't think i'd have ever chosen to go back and watch this had it not been for the fact that it's in sequence with the other wrestlemanias but now that it's here i thought okay well as i'm going to watch it it's a good excuse to now figure out whether it really was as bad as i remember it and whether or not you know it was justified in in kind of walking away from watching wrestling for at least i'd say till 2020 to be honest i, I don't think I, I i mean i watched the i'm sure i watched the wrestlemanias and probably the rumbles but that would have been absolutely it and i said before like there was a few periods during my wrestling watching where i've considered myself a completely a casual fan and that was one of them and this is why i'm always arguing against the idea that there are casual fans who know x amount and there are hardcore fans who know a lot more because that's not really the truth the truth is is that that it, your casual and hardcore is just a reflection of how much you watch any given moment and i definitely was a casual fan where basically going to tune in or not on the basis of looking at the lineup and going yeah i quite fancy that so that's kind of where i got to after this show but as a sort of that will all reveal itself as we go through so talking points, why don't we start with you, Matt? What did you want to pick out from WrestleMania 32? Do you know that there's a couple of things that this is one that was really, I had, I was spoiled for choice. I felt like I had quite a fair few things to talk about. And there's one that really stuck out for me in a big, big way. And that's the Brock Lesnar versus Dean Ambrose match. This match, and do you know, I'll, I'll even, I'll do the result. Do you know what? Oh, go on. On, Brock Lesnar beat the bejesus out of Dean Ambrose. German suplexed him onto a ridiculous amount of steel chairs. f 5 him onto said steel chairs. Pinned him for the win. Good for Brock. That was the finish. Now, this match, I remember having a terribly bad reputation. And over the years, I just, if ever people have talked about the negatives of Brock Lesnar or Dean Ambrose... That this is often a match that's often brought up as something that's really shit. And I couldn't really remember it that well. And when I watched, I thought, this isn't that bad. And not only that, it's about what I would expect from this version of Dean Ambrose versus that version of Brock Lesnar at the time. I mean, literally, as soon as they finished, I was like, that's, that's about the type of thing I think you probably get from those guys. The one thing that I do find fascinating about it, and I'd, I'd have to go back and double check some of the wording that they use in the video package, which, in all fairness, shout out to the video package. I thought that was actually pretty good. I, I don't know if, they, if Dean used the phrase, like, keep me down or anything multiple times, but if ever... They should have made a match, a last man standing match. I felt this was a prime example of one that it would have helped. And and I'm not a big fan, typically, of that stipulation, but it would have fit perfect here. I think it would have potentially given Dean an out instead of him being pinned, which, well, you know, you can argue argue the toss over that, whether it was a good or a bad thing, but that, that, you know, potentially would have been better had he not been pinned. In the package, he was on, but, you know, you can beat me up, I'll step into, you know, the, the den of the beast and, you know, I'll keep getting up, all that type of stuff. And I was thinking, well, yeah, just beat the Brock, beat the piss out of him, keep getting up, beat the piss out of him, keep getting up. And that's pretty much what the match was, but until he got pinned. And I just felt that they missed a trick by that. And, and yeah, like, I'm, I'm just, I'm fascinated to know what you guys think about it, because, you know, like, I, I know Paul Heyman, you know, sort of infamously brought it up on, I think it was an Inside the Ropes tour. You know, people were, you know, booing 
you know, when he mentioned about that match, because I'm sure that the rumor was that Brock didn't really want to work with Dean. And I didn't necessarily get that impression from this. It was he did the same thing that he does to everybody else. He picks you up. He throws you about. That's that's that style of Brock Lesnar match that has been for many years. And with others, it, it seemed to have worked great. And I, I don't know, like to a lot of people, it didn't work here. But I actually thought it was all right. OK, Ooh. that's normally the polar bear. But I think I'm going <laughs> to. I think I might play that card. So my issues with this start with the video package. I remember the build to this. I can remember the building. The build is fucking awful, like dreadful. So the last man's sanity, I actually think is not a bad idea, Matt. I think that does kind of make a bit of sense. But I'll get into why it would never have worked in a sec. So what you have is you have Dean Ambrose, the lunatic fringe. He's goading Brock Lesnar. And he's like, I ain't going to fucking quit. I ain't going to do shit. You can't hit me hard enough to keep me down. That's absolutely fine. The trouble is, is at one point, Lesnar is getting pissed off with him, comes down to the ring from the entranceway. He numbers, pulls out a crowbar. And it's like, well, hang on a minute. Hang on. The psychology is all off here. So you're not scared of him. And he's not going to beat you down, but you're going to use a weapon against him. And this is the whole problem with the match, is that you've got, let's just not even a fucking heel in this, because the build's not strong enough. Ambrose is a face, like a clear face, because the crowd do like him. I think he's awful and intolerable at this phase. But they don't even work hard. I don't think, and this is my major problem with it, is that they obviously had, Ambrose would have had this idea where he's like, right, all this, for want of a better phrase, stupid shit that he does in, that he done in CZW and that he does in AEW now. He obviously wanted to do that. And Lesnar would have just been like, I ain't fucking doing that. And Vince would have probably said to him, he's like, you ain't fucking doing that. You're the beast pro Lesnar. Like, you ain't fucking, for this guy, absolutely not like you ain't fucking bleeding and taking a beating for this guy and the match is just crap a few little things i know down like when ambrose is hitting lesnar with the kendo stick lesnar looks legitimately fucked off like he looks genuinely fucked off throws him around for a bit ambrose gets a chainsaw out at one point which seems to purely be a vehicle for someone to say oh yeah terry funk chainsaw charlie on commentary that's it it doesn't yeah, i mean that was a chainsaw <laughs> yeah a, a chainsaw's got no place in a wrestling ring so i have no problem with that the top rope suplex by lesnar is incredible because he gets up that fucking he gets up those ropes so quick i hate i hate the fire extinguisher being blown into someone's face it just cuts everything out everything that's gone before Ambrose throws the chairs into the ring for no reason whatsoever. He then manages to fuck up a DDT that's meant to go into the chairs that doesn't. Ambrose gets a barbed wire back, swings and misses, then there's a German in an F5, and then it's all done. And this is just a horrible waste of Lesnar. Like, this is the best you've got for Brock Lesnar, is it? Like, this is the best thing you've got. I would have rather have seen Brock Lesnar go up against Shane McMahon, and we'll get into, like, their match later on, because then you could have had a heel-face dynamic, at least. Like, Lesnar's good enough. If he wants to be, he could be a fucking horrible heel. And Ambrose just isn't. He's nowhere near the level of Lesnar, and he's, he's just so far off of it. And I think Lesnar's general attitude in the match is 
for me anyway, was quite obvious at the time and was even more stark now. And it's even more stupid when you take into consideration that the next month, Ambrose won the world title. And it's like, what the fuck is this? Like, like they bury him here. Like, there's no there's no if, but, so maybe it's kind of to your point, Matt, like, if it had been a last man standing match, they would have had a little bit of an out for him because it could have been like, oh, Lesnar beat the 10 count by a second or two and Ambrose stayed down. But what you had is you had a Brock Lesnar who didn't want to do the shit that Ambrose wanted to do. And Ambrose, who isn't capable, I don't think, of having any sort of match outside of stuff like that. He had a little run when he was in this shield where he could have really, really good matches. But he seemed to forget that at some point. Just such a waste. Such a waste. Such a shame. I sort of um, agree with both of you somehow. I don't know how I've done that, but... um... I think on the one one side, Matt, I think you're right. I don't think this is as bad as people make out. I really don't. I think it's it's fine. It's a passable match, but it's also, to old man's point, it's Brock Lesnar. And Brock Lesnar, mm. if, he, if, he, if he's doing passable, then you've failed somehow. You've, you've yeah. done something wrong. And the, the other thing is, of course, two weeks ago, we reviewed WrestleMania 31, and Brock Lesnar's match with Roman Reigns was just, just insanely good, just absolutely insanely good. And then you compare it to this, and you're like, well, there's just no comparison. But the funny thing is, is they don't actually do very much different to that match. There's just no feeling in it. There's no feeling in it whatsoever. Brock is at his best when he he's feeling it. He he's almost like believes in that this is a real fight, and he's he's portraying that, and he's you know he, his facial expressions and his his body language and his promos. The promos before WrestleMania 31 are just so good from Brock Lesnar, like really incredible. For this, it just feels like he's just showing up. He's there he knows contractually he has to fulfill his obligations to fight at wrestlemania that's one of the things that no doubt was in his contract and yet he doesn't really have any interest in this beyond the physical so he does the physical stuff fine but he just doesn't emotionally best himself in the in the uh, match and you could just see it and you could just feel it and so it's okay what they do is okay but it's just not good enough for Brock Lesnar to point I, I, I also like your idea for the, the last man standing last man standing I do think that would work better I do think it would work a lot better and it would work in conjunction with the story they've told which is Dean Ambrose saying I'm not gonna I'm not gonna you're not gonna be able to keep me down you know that that could have made a lot more sense in fact they could have even you know had Brock Lesnar just do almost exactly the same absolutely pummel the hell out of him and then get to the point where he can't keep him down for the 10 so he literally has to pile something on him like you know the the, the announce table or something so that again you give him that out which is that he would never have been able to be kept down if you had if you hadn't dropped this big weight on him basically it just didn't just didn't do an awful lot for me but it, it wasn't bad i just think it was a bit boring in general to be honest and even though it was only 12 minutes the thing is it's so impossibly difficult to portray ambrose as the equal of brock lesnar you just can't do it and the, the funny thing is is a brock uh, dean ambrose represents to me a kind of difficult sized opponent for brock lesnar like brock lesnar is quite good against small guys he's quite good he's great against big guys but Lambros is somewhere in the middle and it just doesn't work as a consequence. You can't, you almost cannot portray him as the ultimate underdog because he's too big for it. But you also can't portray him as the kind of equal of him. So it just doesn't, it's just difficult, just difficult to make it work. I will throughout this show though, defend WWE a little bit here in that 
there were huge mitigating circumstances behind why this match happened and why other matches happened. And that is going to be my talking point. So I'll go into it now just because it's a happy coincidence we've got there, which is that of all the WrestleManias we've done so far, I think this is the one that could have been transformed the most were it not for the injuries that took place in the autumn of the previous year. So in the autumn of the year, in 2020, autumn of uh, 2015, Randy Orton gets injured in October. John Cena gets injured in just before that and has to kind of have his last match against Alberto Del Rio. Um, Seth Rollins picks up an injury in late October and Sting at the October pay-per-view had the buckle bum done, it, done on him by Seth Rollins and that put him out of injury to the point where it looked like he was going to retire as he does actually announce during the Hall of Fame ceremony for this WrestleMania. It's my belief that they had matches, different matches for each one of those people lined up for this WrestleMania. I think you saw Brock Lesnar versus Randy Orton at SummerSlam this, this, this same year. I think that would have been Brock Lesnar's match for this WrestleMania. I think Roman Reigns would have faced John Cena in the main event. Triple H would have faced Seth Rollins because they were they were that was where they were going with the authority thing with Seth Rollins was going to go into them. Of course, they did that the following year when they finally got to it. And I think that also you'd have seen who's the other one? I forgot. Sting. He'd have gone up against the Undertaker. I think they'd have done Sting versus the Undertaker. So I think each one of those matches would have been, you know, in, in, if, certainly if we're carrying on with Brock Lesnar and Dean Ambrose, I think Brock Lesnar versus Randy Orton would have been a significant upgrade on Brock Lesnar versus Dean Ambrose. But they literally, they literally had nothing. Where I would criticise WWE, though, even with, it, with that context, is that all those things happened in October. They didn't happen in February and March. They had time. And not only did they have time, they had two massive opportunities. The first one being the tournament that obviously Seth Rollins was the champion when he got injured they had to they had to strip him of the title and they put on a title uh, put on a tournament heading into the Survivor Series now at the time I remember massive speculation that was going to be some kind of similar deadly game t- style thing in one night ended up not being obviously took place mostly overall and they had the semi-finals and finals on the Survivor Series the booking of that was so mediocre it was so unimaginable un- unimaginative and you had Roman Reigns winning the championship and then Sheamus cashing in his money in the bank at the end of the tournament and it was a prime opportunity to put somebody over who wasn't yet at that top level in my view he'd only he'd only debuted earlier that year he'd had a bit of a setback in a couple of matches against John Cena but Kevin Owens was primed to be elevated as part of that tournament and they could have done that and it would have meant that they had someone else to use I mean imagine an Undertaker versus Kevin Owens match for example or a Brock Lesnar Kevin Owens match both of those things could have been really cool but they didn't elevate him and then they had the Rumble in January, which is another prime chance to elevate somebody. Not sure who you would have gone with because this was, you know, injuries were there and it was difficult. They were down to the sort of bare bones, but do something. Try, try and build somebody, even if it's not for your main event, try and build somebody else to get to that top level. And they just didn't. They just, I, I think they just put all their kind of chips on Roman Reigns in the end and said, fine, we'll just, we'll just load Roman Reigns up. But yeah, for me, they had the opportunity to to correct course, but admittedly, they, they did have a lot of injuries that, that, certainly impacted the quality of the show the quality of the build-up and a lot of people's interest in the show going into it yeah i completely agree because i had a note so thanks for stealing that about <laughs> rollins and orton's injuries as well but just when you were after we'd finished then i was just looking through my notes and i was like kevin owens what could kevin owens and lesnar i knew just touched on this but what a match they could have had like what an absolute barn burner they could have had and it just seems like such a waste of Owens, we'll get to it, but Owen and Zane's in that ladder match. It seems like such a waste to have them in there. But, I mean, it's a skinny old roster, isn't it? There's a lot of criticism of, like, The Undertaker, Shane McMahon booking. Fucking hell, what, what else do you do? Like, quite honestly, when you've got Jericho in 
AJ Styles, they were obviously intensely keen on getting them two together because I read something, it was described as a dream match for everyone. <laughs> that was, apparently. I mean, I don't have that. And Styles had obviously only been in the company, like David done at the Royal Rumble. But bloody heck, he's a big enough star based on what he's done to have been in a in a major match rather than second on the main card. So, yeah, just a waste. You could have had King Barrett. There were many things. <laughs> well, well, to me, it was more about the fact that this was, I just feel like this was WWE being like, oh, well, they haven't proved themselves on WWE stage, so we're not going to give them that match. Yeah. Kevin Owens, AJ mm-hmm. Styles, same thing, basically. I think they both had to go through. And Styles absolutely proved himself to management to the point where they were they were willing to give him anything. You know, <laughs> you know, Styles was basically, yeah. two, three years ago, was basically kind of pushing for his own matches and saying, I, I want to face Triple H, I want to face The Undertaker, I want to face... And he got The Undertaker, obviously, eventually. Yeah. But and I'm not sure Kevin Owens has ever really got there, but certainly th- there was this sort of hesitancy because they're not... Or they haven't been in WWE for long. They haven't proved themselves capable of going in these big matches. But, you know, for me, when you're in that position where you've lost so many people to injury... You, it's time to just give up on those silly things and go, right, mm. needs must. Let's use these guys. You know, if, if for no other reason, then they're not over ex- overexposed like so much of our roster. They haven't been around for long. So people are just going to be naturally interested because they haven't been overexposed. You know, th- th- this is where the, the polar bear nickname kicks in now. So. I, I get what you're saying. I mean, particularly like with the the sort of you know the tournament around about Survivor Series and all that. But like the thing with the, again, I'm sort of stubbornly going. Roman Reigns is our guy. We're definitely you know we're gonna crown him the top guy again. We versus Sheamus. And he was, I'm sure it was um, that, you know, they had Vince as a special guest ref or something around about the time. At least in terms of his babyface run, I felt those were the, some of the only two times that he actually felt like the company big babyface. So I actually felt that kind of worked. You you can definitely make the case that, that it was short-sighted because, again, after that, it's, it, it pretty much went back to business as usual. But for, for that very short period of time, it did seem to work. My, my thing would be, though, and I'm not saying that's wrong. But if, if if that's right, then arguably he should have been against Sheamus at WrestleMania. You know what I mean? Like if he's if that makes him the big babyface, then leave that for us. So for example, you have the Survivor Series tournament play out. Kevin Owens wins the final against Roman Reigns by cheating somehow. They fight a, they fight the Rumble. Roman Reigns beats him to take the title back. And then Sheamus cashes in the Money in the Bank, and then you set up Roman Reigns and Sheamus for WrestleMania as a consequence of that. Like you know, to me that that just makes sense. That that makes perfect sense because that way. You have created Kevin Owens, and you don't have to have him in the title match. He can be against whoever you want after that. And Roman Reigns can still face Sheamus. In fact, you can save Sheamus rather than make him look like a jobber over two months, which is effectively what they did. You can save him for WrestleMania. Even if at WrestleMania, then you then make a jobber of him, fine. But you keep him still good enough to face Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. Whereas by the time he gets to WrestleMania, he's in, he's in a piss poor six man tag match. It's it's mad because you know it's it's one of those where. I don't think they realised that, you know, the, dyma- the dynamic that they had between Sheamus and Roman Reigns would actually be any good. If anything, they, they probably thought that it wouldn't be. But like I said, they, for whatever reason, they were just two guys who just, they seemed to fit. So, yeah, I mean, again, it's, it's the case of that they, they didn't know what they had, I think. I mean, I, I'm don't go wrong. I, I didn't, I, I haven't noticed this thing that you're talking about. And to be honest, during the, the period, I was like, oh, fucking hell, Sheamus and Roman Reigns have no interest in this. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and, and I get that. And I and I'm watching it didn't make me feel any different. So you know I'm I'm not saying you're right, but certainly if that is the case, then you know they've got to they've got to cotton on to that. And even if it's not, even if you don't know that's going to be the case, Sheamus is worth protecting at that time when you've when you've lost four of your biggest stars and Sheamus is surrounded by three other upper mid card guys. 
you can you can protect him enough to get him to WrestleMania and be in a match that's worthwhile, but they don't, and therefore they don't they aren't able to use him, and they have to bring out certain things like Brock Lesnar versus Dean Ambrose, which just as I say, as, as Old Man has said, is is a waste of Brock Lesnar when you've got him maybe three four times a year at this at this stage and even now I guess Dean Ambrose at WrestleMania maybe if you're at Survivor Series and you want to use him fine, but not at WrestleMania. There's something about Dean. He's just he's he's never in terms of WWE. He's just never been the guy. Yeah. I mean, I go back to and I've told this story multiple times, but I always always go back to the Hell in a Cell 2014 when he and Seth Rollins faced one another at the end of their feud. Just just it was just the feud that came out of the Shield breaking up. Roman Reigns kind of went in his own way, and them two went out for months. And it was a long feud, and it was a really good feud. They really did a good job. It's one one of the best things WWE did during these two, three or four years. And got to the Hell in a Cell match, and Dean Ambrose had lost every match leading up to that. And you're like, right now, pay it off in the right way. Give the baby faces a win. It's not like Seth Rollins loses anything. He's lost one match in the Hell in a Cell, a match that favors Dean Ambrose because he's a bit of a nutter, if you like. You know, you can you can easily explain that away not a problem at all and instead they had the Wyatt family inexplicably come out attack Dean Ambrose Seth Rollins got the win and Dean Ambrose was just like shunted off into this sideways thing that didn't mean anything was rubbish and that's why in my view he never reached a higher level or a higher plane or didn't because again going back to what we I've said about Daniel Bryan what I've said about other babyface is losing when the babyface can't get the job done fans lose interest they lose faith and they stop getting behind that guy very simple psychology but it nearly always happens i just think he's crap (laughs) and i think i think he's not believable i think that is the problem with it is that going back to what you said about his size Tinky, and I think like the way that WWE book, not in real life, he's fucking much bigger than me. But yeah, it just never, it never really fit. And he was, well, I thought for at one point, I thought he was going to be the guy that came out of the shield. I thought he was going to be the one. And then they let him grow his hair out. So he looked like an absolute fucking knob. They give him, and this was touched upon in the WrestleMania 31. His music is fucking abysmal. (laughs) Like, create a wrestler type. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And... Oh, it's just like, just doesn't make him look good. And they always kind of almost got in there. But I just feel like he was just never good enough. And then I think that kind of shone through, which is why they didn't ever want to be like, yeah, we're going to go with this guy. We're going to back him properly. Well, they, they also kind of, they wanted him to be unhinged, but they kept they kept writing things that made him look zany as opposed to a yeah. menace. Like, so they'd have, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I remember a long time ago having a massive rant about the gunge that they had him using. Like they were using the yeah. gunge at one point. And I was like, come on, this isn't Noel's house party, guys. Come on, this you're supposed <laughs> to be making this guy, you know, out to be Crinkly a bottom. real. Yeah, you're, you're, trying to make this guy, <laughs> you're trying to make this guy out to be like, you know, a real killer, basically. Somebody who's going to be unpredictable and, and, you know, tough and scary and, you know, all kinds of things. And instead, you just got him looking like a clown, effectively. And it, there's partially that, too. I, I, I don't mind him. I don't think he's a terrible wrestler. I do think he struggled. Like, sometimes I do think his offense isn't very good. But I also think he struggled in the, the sort of confines of WWE, where, again, there is... I remember Rob Van Dam talking about it, that, that you basically are trained and told. You go in there, you get your three or four signature spots in, then you get out. And that's it. That's that's mm. how you do WWE. And some people are good at it. Some people can make that work. And Dean Ambrose are just... He 
just can't. He's just not in that category. It's funny, like you said, I, I won't go into too much because, you know, to be fair, I think we've uh, talked about it for quite a bit. But I think as far as Dean Ambrose goes, Nat can't stand, not a fan. But on the other hand, John Moxley, love him. I, I, I generally think they're two completely different people. Oh, man, what did you want to pick out as your talking point? So I went for AJ Styles. So AJ versus CJ. Not CJ from Baywatch, though. <laughs> so, yeah, the AJ Styles-Jericho match. But more specifically, AJ Styles and his first year in WWE. So I was, uh, was reading about it. So you had, obviously, debuts at the Rumble. Has a lovely time in the Rumble. Everyone gets very excited. A genuine shocker as well when he debuted, like a genuine bona fide ass off the seat surprise. Lovely old job. Gets into this program with Jericho and this is not a good program. I'll talk about the match in a second, but it's not a good program. Then he goes into the program with Reigns and he has some cracking. So there's like little bits in between, but he has a couple of cracking matches on pay-per-view with Roman Reigns. And he really like, spoiler alert, Roman Reigns wins the title tonight and they have a couple of title matches. I remember they have one and I want to say it's Extreme Rules, but it might be just like, it's almost 40 minutes I think. And he did more for Roman Reigns' credibility than I think they managed to do in probably a year up to this point because it's fucking cracking stuff. He then has an amazing match with Cena at SummerSlam, wins the championship in September. And it made me think, who else has had a push like that so soon? Not necessarily in the first, like, six months to a year after they debuted. The only person I could think that came even close, and in all honesty is probably more impressive because he came from a standing start, was Angle. He's the only guy I can think of. I was going to say Angle and Lesnar. They're the two. Yeah. Of course, old Lesnar. I forgot about Lesley. Lesley. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I just found it really interesting, like tracing that year of AJ Styles and just being like, fucking hell, what an absolute golden year. And now you look at him, I mean, seven years later. So it's not, it's not a couple of years, but oh, he's a shell of a worker now. Last time I saw him, he just looks like his, unfortunately, as it's going to when you've been wrestling for as long as he has. Looks like his body's just given up on him a bit, doesn't it? Unfortunately. Well, for as long and for as high impact as he is. Yeah. Been, let's be honest, yeah. it's not just about how long he's been going, but like he's not, it's not got a style that lends itself to longevity and he has no. had a very long career. So yeah, I mean, yeah. it's it's not surprising really. One thing I wanted to ask you though, old man, but from before this match actually, in the crowd, did you see the sign that was in the crowd? I don't know if you... Uh, no, I, well, I am going to note it down. Funnily enough, I was listening to WrestleMania 30 the day before I watched this. So I Bobby G. Watched, Bobby G. There was a fucking there was a sign honey. for Bobby G. He was back. <laughs> uh, fucking he, him and Legacy are still on my shit list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was there. He was in the crowd. What did you think, Matt, of uh, this? All this. Um, you know, it, it was it was okay, which you know, I, I think we kind of said you know something similar to, to you know to about Brock Lesnar earlier. Passable is not a word that I think of when it comes to a Brock Lesnar match, and you know like you said, if, if that's the case, then you failed. And I kind of feel the same for both Jericho and AJ here. Um, they they were fighting a bit of an uphill battle in, in terms of yeah, you know, second place on the card 
I, I think higher ups probably don't give a shit if that's the case. If you're going on second, nah, it's like whatever, it's got to be done. Not the best spot for them. You, know, I'll give them a little bit of credit that they, they obviously tried to make this, you know, to, to give this some teeth in terms of you know the story. It, the very creative tag team name of Y2AJ. Who doesn't love that? I want to buy merchandise with that on. It was just that they clearly just threw it together just to try and do the breakup scenario and, and get to WrestleMania. I mean, OK, at least they tried to do something. I'll give them that. But it, it just it didn't work. The match was fine. I mean, I got to be honest, when it comes to AJ Styles and his overall WWE career and sorry, old man, but I, I, I haven't been that that sort of enthralled when it when it comes to AJ Styles. It's not to say that he's not good. And, you, you know, some of the matches you alluded to, there certainly were good. And, and he has had good matches i mean if you know i have you know again i, I watched tna you know way back in the, you know, the sort of original days of tna and an aj styles match for me was that's was the be all end all that that's the one i have to go out to my way to see and okay you know i'll, I'll certainly give him credit over the last couple of years father time gets everybody and that quality just yeah it's just not it's not there i absolutely can't stand his haircut <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I, I know that just sounds really silly, but it's, I just think it's such a terrible look, and he it, it just looks stupid with it, and and, it, and, it's, and that's bothered me for years anyway. Cut your fucking hair, but whatever. Yeah, like I said, they they both did about as much as they could. It, it was it was fairly good. It was you know certainly competent for for what they could do at this point in you know in both their careers. But yeah, I I expected more from from the pair of them. So. This was a little disappointing to me. You know, it's funny the way you were talking about AJ Styles then was so it, it was so instructive in terms of the way you and I watch wrestling differently because for me during his time in TNA, unquestionably, you know, jaw dropping stuff he did. Didn't want interest in him at all. Just had no interest in him whatsoever. He didn't have any presence to him. He just looked like a little boy playing at wrestling. That that's how I felt about AJ Styles in, in TNA. It was only when he left there did he did stuff in Japan. And you could see in Japan, like he he found something, he realised something, and suddenly when he walked out in front of a crowd, he had a presence about him. He had a he had a just a way. He carried himself in a way that said, "I'm a star," and he carried that into WWE. And contrary to you with the hair, now I don't get me wrong, I don't think it's a good haircut, but I much prefer it to him with his kind of short hair. I just and no beard, like he is just much better with facial hair and and longer hair because again that adds to his for me that just adds to his overall aura and just the 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 way he carries himself like with with his short hair and his clean shaven look he just looks again like a little boy playing at wrestling it's just nothing there's no element of his character or or presentation that makes me stand up and go i want to watch this guy wrestle regardless of how good i know him to be whereas by the time he's in this phase he now stands out he makes me want to watch the minute he walks in front of the crowd i'm like this guy is a big deal and i want to see him wrestle so that's just really instructive in terms of the way we watch wrestling differently It, it goes back to the whole thing about for me match quality is all great and well and good and i want match quality but it can't come secondary to the other stuff the other stuff is more important at first anyway because it then means that you when you get to the match if it's amazing it means so much more do you know it's it's interesting that right i mean for for me he hit particularly during his time in tna he hit a bit of a sweet spot where i think he was he was working with uh with christian and um, you know christian cage and, and that's where i felt that christian was able to get a lot of sort of personality out of him and, and that's I, I felt that was really good I and mean, we were starting to see something of him but yeah it's, it's funny because in terms of his look now i think like the the jacket the the hood 
the the trunks is old music i can't stand his current music i just for, for me the in terms of star quality I, I look at them both past and present and the present one i'm like oh no well, as i say it just shows how how different we look at things but i mean what you i can't see a star in a guy who walks out in front of 200 people and looks like he's like delighted to be there i just can't see it right looks like a surfer dude <laughs> yeah exactly Oof, who cares um <laughs> anyway matt uh, oh man you didn't say what you thought of the match no i actually thought this was pretty good it started <laughs> started pretty slow but i thought they built it up quite nicely odd finish i thought which I now can't remember because I wrote it down. But I wrote very odd finish to the match, but it looked decent. And it was the phenomenal form into the co-breaker spot. It was very much a Jericho match in that there were lots of attempts to do finishes into reversals into the walls of Jericho. But I thought, given where they are in the card as well, kind of to your point, Matt, I thought they got about as much out of this as they could have, really. And I thought, you know what? Fair fucks. Fair fucks to them. I also think, going back to Styles, I think Styles would have had a little checkbox for each wrestler that he wanted to face. Which you would. You're coming in as a fucking, what would he have been, 30, 37, 38-year-old? Like, long-term pro. You had, to be honest, Jericho might even have been on there, which is why they did the match. But you had Jericho, Cena, Lesnar, some others. Like, there would have been absolutely tons of them. But, yeah, going back to that, I thought this was pretty good. I thought this was all right. Uh, no, I, no, actually, I think it was better than all right. I think it was, it was above average, but... It didn't start well, I didn't think. I thought it started really poorly. So I thought that they were really tentative at the start. And despite the fact that they've been working with each other for the first two two and a bit months of AJ Styles being there, they had the match at the February pay-per-view, they had tag matches together, they had matches no doubt on the house show circuit against one another. I thought that they were really awkward with one another. It just didn't really work at, at the start. And Jericho in particular just looked a step off. He just looked slow. Like AJ Styles looked, looked like he was going too fast for Jericho. Just Jericho couldn't move himself quick enough to keep up with styles but they they overcame that and it did get good towards the end and i think it was a it was one of the better matches on the show not to say it was incredible or or you know must see or, or you know a legendary wrestlemania match or anything but it was one of the better matches on the show in my view okay let's go back to the start of the show now we've got our talking points out of the way and we start with lillian garcia introducing fifth harmony to sing america the beautiful i'd not heard of fifth harmony before but uh given that there were five of them and they harmonize i thought you know what are you going to do it's a decent enough name i suppose <laughs> uh, the harmonization the harmonization wasn't perfect no nope. okay <laughs> uh, i had fifth harmony or like not great harmony i had very poor and no planes no planes. no planes. Now, I do understand that this is in a stadium, but that doesn't normally stop them. I was like, no planes. <laughs> Lots of fireworks throughout the show, I suppose. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, perhaps they blew their budget. They couldn't eject the uh, the pilots out of their seats to get them to land. That's why they couldn't get them to land in their seats, because there's a roof on the stadium. It's, it's OK. I've answered my own question here. <laughs> good go on glad that cleared up <laughs> yeah matt anything to add on that Matt? yeah it was all right just, I, 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 i'm not that precious on, on the anthem and everything i gotta be honest just yeah it's not it's not, it's not the anthem no, it's not an anthem it's just it's america the beautiful the song whatever <laughs> star star spangled banner is the uh, american national anthem. Oh, that was beautiful yeah. then we get the intro vid which was, I found not particularly ah! notable. <laughs> this is exactly what you fucking moaned about on yeah. the WrestleMania 31. <laughs> 
yeah so the rest of my 31 they seem to have figured out they mixed it up a bit and got got back to yo this is positive i'm happy and now this is back to pre WrestleMania 31 we're just kind of fucking do the same thing we always do the only thing is that and i didn't notice it at the time but later on they mentioned kelsey grammar apparently did the narration on this yeah what yeah yeah I didn't notice it whilst it was happening, but then they said it on commentary later on. I didn't know that. God is flat. His <laughs> voiceover is so flat. Probably just a I, I, Yeah, well, it's just like fucking hell, mate. Not even, it's not even him. Like, he's just talking. Someone's got to be in his ear going, oh, obviously, this isn't a live voiceover either. Got to be sure? like... Could be. Yeah. You never know what, man. <laughs> God, be like, hey, fucking put some energy into it. It was just so flat. There was more energy when he was Stinky Pete the Prospector in Toy yeah, Story 2. I tell you, he's saving the energy for his uh, starring role alongside legend Nicholas Lindhurst in the new <laughs> Frasier. <That's> what, <laughs> what, Tom's Tom's favourite reboot of all time? <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. That's still weird. It's still so weird that Nicholas Linder is in Fraser. It's mad. Well, it's, it's because everybody else said no, I think. <laughs> Possibly, yeah. Like, just every single fucker said no. I just got the impression that basically what had happened is the executive producers were like, who's a really big British name that we get to do this part? And they were like, well, there's this guy who started probably the most popular British sitcom of all time you could get, uh, Nicholas Linders. Oh, yeah. Well, that sounds fantastic. Let's have him. Not even thinking about who he was or whether or not he could play the part or anything. I think you're probably right. And also, I do quite like a bit of Nicholas Linders. I'm not big into Goodnight Sweetheart like you are, Tinky, but... Madness, madness. is the greatest show ever. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, that was that. Yeah, I wasn't very impressed by this intro video. Then, everyone, breaking news, breaking news, okay? I finally had the foreign language issue on my... Uh, yes! <laughs> so, yeah, we get we get past the intro, intro video, and we're about seven, eight minutes in, and then, yeah... Karsten Schaefer or whatever his name is starts talking. I'm like, what's going on here? This is this isn't it. So yeah, to, Welcome to, to, in the Glossomania. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's lovely. When I finally managed to sort that out, I find that we've got Michael Gold, JBL, and Byron <laughs> Saxon on commentary. So I think, fuck it, turn the Germans back on. <laughs> this isn't the most inspired commentary team, is it? <laughs> I mean, like, I think any time when you hear, I'm Michael Cole, you're like, oh, that's good. And you hear and I'm with JBL oh, and Byron Saxton. Oh, oh, God. Because I know what this is going to be. This is going to be JBL having a go at Saxton. Like doing their fucking sexual tension thing or whatever it was that they did. Oh, it's fucking terrible. Stage looked fucking amazing, though. I thought mainly the floor, to be honest. I love the screen within the star on the stage. Love it. Love it. Come on, England. <laughs> As far as commentary goes, if ever there was a giant, stupid line and awful commentary that was ever done, it happened on this show. We will get to it. I will address it. Lovely, lovely. Well, I would doubt that that comes from Byron Saxon because he barely talks for the entire show. He's <laughs> completely overwrought by the occasion. To be honest, I was almost thankful for JBL because Byron Saxon barely said a word all night. The opening match of the night is the WWE Intercontinental Title Seven Way Ladder Match, which features the champion Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, Sin Cara, Stardust, The Miz, Dolph Ziggler, and Zack Ryder. The winner of which is Zack Ryder. When Miz is just about to win the match after climbing up the ladder and he's kind of a little posing, kind of being arrogant as if he's already won. Then Ryder pushes Miz off the ladder and grabs the belt and takes the title. It's after about 15 minutes. Matt, what did you make of it? 
<laughs> the very first entrance of this match just made me burst out laughing and then just turn into rage fairly quickly as if somebody was taking the piss. Because pretty much at the start of this show, I noticed two things. One, the length of the show, which made me just go, oh, for fuck's sake. And then the second part of that was the very first wrestler's entrance, which was, of course, Dolph fucking Ziggler. And I just think I've made no bones of her at this point. I'm sorry. I'm sure he's the nicest guy in the world. And Dolph, of course, you're listening. Yes, you are a lovely guy. I've no interest in him. What? (laughs) He's a cunt. I know it. Cool. Let's go go with that then. I have no interest in ever seeing that man wrestle ever again. Can I ask you a question about that, Matt? Did you feel that way at the time? Um, Yes. Okay. So it wasn't like, all I'm saying is, I I can understand what you mean. 2023, we've seen him for 18 years. That's long enough. You know, he's not going anywhere. He's never going to be mid-carder. And of course, he just recently got released by WWE. But I just wondered if you also felt the same back in 2016 or whatever this was. It's just, just been for years now. It's just the same spot, never going to change. It's just, oh, as soon as I hear that I'm here to show the world, I just went, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Come on! Why? Why am I being subjected to a near five-hour show on Dolph Ziggler? So it was already off to a, to a fantastic start. And then, and then the match happened. Now, I can't remember which WrestleMania was. In all fairness, I'm sure it was a fair few back at this point, Ben, that you said that the... the so, and I know this is not the Money in the Bank ladder match, but I, I know you said like the concept of the ladder match started to be one which you were like, eh, it's, it's kind of got a bit, you know, samey-same now. And, and I felt this way with this one. It was, it was okay, but it was just... There was nothing particularly special or anything that stood out about it. There was a couple of spots in there which, which fans did, you know, get into, you know, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn going after each other again. Sin Cara doing a, I think it was like a crossbody onto Stardust. If ever you want to talk about transformations in a few years, I mean, don't get me wrong, we'll obviously get to, to Cody Rhodes, if nobody knows that Stardust, God forbid, um, in a couple of years' time, because the same building. And, and, you know, obviously I was at WrestleMania where Cody returned. So to see Cody return there to that superstar reaction and in this building see him as Stardust blows my mind already but yeah so anyway like i said the 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 match was not not the best i mean the one thing that i must admit is that the miz the sort of false finish at the end where the miz you know arrogant prick up on the ladder yeah you know ha 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 you know taking his time and (laughs) right and just just a quick shove pushes him off there that did make me giggle i thought that was quite quite the good finish zach Ryder is the winner i mean even then i was thinking god how out of date was Zack Ryder at that point? Um, so, so that felt like a bit of an odd choice. But you know what? He seemed happy as fuck to, to get that win. His dad was there. He was interviewed about it later. Okay, do you know what? It's, if ever, you know, he, he doesn't have the career he wants, he got that win. So, so that's good for him, I suppose. So I'll, I'll take that as a positive. But yeah, the the, the multi-man ladder match is... is it feels outdone for me at this point. It, it doesn't feel anything that particularly special anymore. Thankfully, they don't. Uh, they don't persist with them, <laughs> so they're staying yeah. far beyond. This is uh, a Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn match, isn't it? With some other people, like they're the only people with anything of note. There's Sami Zayn's cannonball throw a ladder to the outside. 
There's a wood splash to cane off the ladder, uh, on top of a ladder, sorry, which looks amazing. And then there's the incredible suplex that Sami Zayn hits to Kevin Owens. But I can remember watching, I think we watched this together, Tinky. I, no, I watched no? this at home on my own. I know I watched this at home on my own. Ah, perhaps we talked about it then. Because, yeah, that suplex is extraordinary. Like, it's a neck breaker of a suplex. And then some other stuff happens. Like Sinkara does a springboard flip to the outside. Ryder hits the elbow from a ladder to Miz, which I don't really understand. He climbed up the ladder. Miz climbs up a barely set ladder at one point for some reason. There's no one else in the ring, I don't think, either. And there is a, I've written down a protracted Sinkara in Stardust spot, which I can't remember. All in all, this is absolutely bang, bang, Bang average. This is mi- is middle of the road in terms of a ladder match as you get. I quite like you said that. I quite like Miz's pratfall for the finish where he gets his comeuppance. Zack Ryder loses the title the next night. I don't really know how to word this without sounding like an utter cunt. I don't give a shit about Zack Ryder. I don't give a shit about his career. I don't care that his dad was there. Don't get me wrong. If that was me and I wanted to tell him my dad was there, that would be wonderful. But it's so rushed. Like They don't have this thing where Zack Ryder goes over to his dad and then his dad gets in the ring. His dad's just in the ring. And it's just like, oh, OK. And then they're both crying. And it's like, this is absolutely lovely. I can't even imagine how hard Zack Ryder had worked to get to WWE, let alone to do all of the stuff he did with his like YouTube channel, making himself the internet champion, to get this recognition at WrestleMania in front of 100,000 people, in inverted commas. Like, it's absolutely amazing. I just don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck. I don't like it, to be honest. I don't think it. I think it's borderline patronising to give it to him and to then whip it away the next night. I just think... No, no, not interested in this. I'm glad he got it, and I'm glad his dad got it. I just feel like it was an even bigger kick in the nuts than what had happened at WrestleMania 28 when Eve Torres literally kicked him in the nuts. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm 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 less I'm less negative on that on that aspect of it. Like um, I actually think this is a rare occasion when WWE are trying to be nice. They're trying to give somebody a reward for working hard. And and Matt, we've spoke, spoke about this before. Neither of us like the idea of people just deserving titles because they work hard. But this is the Intercontinental title. Who gives a fuck? It's, it's not it's not a world title. It's not like they're giving him something important. This is just yeah. the Intercontinental title, which by this point was no longer important. Mm. And so I, I don't mind that. And I, I and as I say, like as you, and, and Matt and Manny, as you pointed out, that word worked really hard. Not just to get there, but when he got there, he, by this point, he'd been there like seven, eight years, by the way. He'd been there for quite a long time. He'd effectively be one of the guys that like, was about to get released and then managed to, have, off his own back, make something, get himself over to the point where WWE couldn't ignore him and kind of brought him back and did everything they could to to, to not make him over anymore. And by this point, I think he'd he'd run out of ideas. Like, how do I how do I push myself back to the top again? And almost like in an acknowledgement of the work he'd done and the, the effort he'd made and the fact that he was likely to not be with the company for very much longer. It's almost like they went, I don't care. I don't think it was about his dad being there. I just think they thought, oh, we'll just give him this. Who cares? It doesn't matter. Also, it kind of, we watched one of the shows that comes after this last, or not last, yeah, last year, I think it was, early last year. I think 
think it was the either the Extreme Rules or Mon- uh, not Money in the Bank. What was the one after Backlash or something? I can't remember. But in 2016, the one after this WrestleMania. And there's a few then, which is between effectively Kevin Owens, I think Dolph Ziggler, Sami Zayn and The Miz over the Intercontinental title. So it's almost like giving it to Zack Ryder here and then having, I think, The Miz beats him for the title the next night just allows them to go to that feud next. So in that respect... I, yeah, I don't mind that. In terms of the match, it was fine. I mean, these are all the same to me now. They're all perfectly reasonable and enjoyable and, and entertaining, but they don't mean anything. Let's be clear. They don't mean a thing. You don't remember anything afterwards. In fact, you're hard pressed to remember who's even in the match after they've taken place. And that's probably one of the issues I had just generally. I've spoken about the fact that if you're going to have these kinds of matches, they've got to mean something because the physical toll they take has got to be worth it. Otherwise, if they're not worth it, you shouldn't do it. It's, it's really, you know, for me, it's it's taking liberties with people's bodies who and people who work every day punishing themselves, taking bumps. You shouldn't be asking them to take these kinds of bumps when it won't mean a thing the next day. And so, yeah, that wasn't particularly good for me. That was one of those things that sort of, as I say, fed into me kind of, I don't really want to watch wrestling for a while because it's, and actually what happened didn't stop watching wrestling i just watched loads of old wrestling i watched loads of stuff from the early 80s and even in the 70s when this kind of thing wasn't even considered you know they didn't they did everything they could to be efficient with people's bodies by not making them take bumps as often as they possibly could because that's you know it's not a good thing to do was this when you watched the was it is it Greg Valentine, Bob Backlund, one hour match? It is indeed. Yeah, that was part. That was one of the matches I watched through in that period. Okay, now. I, I enjoyed it a lot. I thought it was a really good match. So let's call it a day there for the moment. Let's, let's have our break. We will come back in just a moment. Cover the rest of WrestleMania 32. Coliseum of the Immortals, 
and the undisputed champion. Only one who takes the breath of his opponents with barbaric fortitude. Only one who wears the sharpened crown. Now bow down and grovel at his feet. He is the king, the king of kings, the cerebral assassin, the game, Triple A! Okay, welcome back to the show. Now, before we went away, old man, you did say about, you did cast aspersions on the idea that there were 100,000 people here. Now, this is a big part of WWE's thing. In fact, I this is one of the... This up. <laughs> Well, no, no, no. This was one of the big things that everybody was talking about in the year leading up to this year, because they had always hoped they'd get 100,000 people. And that's why I think, going back to WrestleMania 31 review, why they were so determined to do that Rock, Ronda Rousey, Triple H, Stephanie thing, because they thought, if we got any chance of getting 100,000 people, we're going to need The Rock, we're going to need somebody like Ronda Rousey, and we're also going to need all the four guys that we spoke about who were not available for this show you know obviously john cena and randy orton and seth rollins and the like so yeah they claimed that there was 101,000 people on hand we'll we'll talk about that in a little bit because they announced it but i did look it up you're right matt because there was a paid attendance somewhere between 73,111 and 85,888 now the reason there's a range there is because these are figures published by the wwe obviously a public company they have to publish all these numbers but they they obviously couldn't be particularly um exact about it there's a belief that there was 80,709 paid that that seems to be the number that's kind of swirls around as the as the main one not as many as were purported to be at AEW All In, although more than were actually there, or at least paid to go there. I mean, who who knows? There may have been another thirteen, fifteen thousand people who were given tickets. You know, as they walk through London, like, hey, do you want to go to this show? It's at Wembley. <laughs> so I was reading about the attendance for this WrestleMania yesterday. So Vince McMahon himself apparently has admitted that there were, eight, I think it was 82,000, something around about that. It might be the figure that you quoted, actually, thinking, but that in total, so with people working there, <laughs> so security, people working as vendors, merchandise sellers, and other staff, that equates to 101,000, apparently. Wait a minute, you're telling me there were 20,000 staff? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's incredible, isn't it? So, one you know, one I, for every four people in the building. <laughs> so you know that, that I, I saw something similar, but the figure that I seem to be uh, around quite often is about the ninety-seven thousand mark. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> oh, it was wonderful. I was reading it. I was like, oh, I don't know, Vince. I'm not sure about that, to be honest, mate. That, that doesn't sound right, mate. That doesn't sound right. After the uh, ladder match, there's an advert for a tap out. And then Michael Cole says that they're expecting 100,000 in attendance mm. for the show. Then we have the Expecting. AJ Styles, Chris Jericho stuff. Then we get an advert for Total Divas, the countdown to season finale. So this is yes. an advert for the finale. Is an advert <laughs> for the countdown to the season finale. Uh, well, hang, on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I just need to touch on this. Oh, God. What have you always said, Tinky? Don't know. It's Bye not about here. the quality, it's about the build. <laughs> they're building. True. They're really building to that Total Divas season finale, which still are. still hasn't happened. <laughs> yes. Tune in to find out what issues Natalia has with her husband this week. Ooh. <laughs> 
Hang on, hang on, there's issues. No, <laughs> no, no, not with, t- not with Toast and Kid. Well, you know, it's been a very successful show for the WWE, mm-hmm. and it's still going, and they've got spin-offs and everything now, so fair enough. Then we get Stephen Amell shown in the crowd, and also Bill Simmons. Stephen Amell, of course, had previously been at SummerSlam the year before. I wrote down, I typed up my notes yesterday, because I couldn't read my writing, and I needed to refresh my memory. But I wrote Stephen Amell and someone, because for some reason I'd written Bill Irwin in my notes, and I know who Bill Simmons is. <laughs> Wild Bill Irwin, the man who played the goon in uh, Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, oh, wonderful. Then Maria Menounos is backstage with Zack Ryder. Rax, R- Ryder says it's Rax. the greatest. Yeah, Rax. 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 <laughs> Ryder says it's the greatest moment of his life. Something he was going to put the belt on Razor Ramon's shoulder. I think he did that when he was a kid. Something like that, apparently. Mm. Thanks for um, filling in the blanks. I thought that this promo really encapsulated why he never made it because it is a bumbling mess. <laughs> I thought. I thought it was really bad. And Maria Menounos. It's for a shame of man top. And it reminded me of good friend of the show, Fordy. Send a lot of love to his family at the moment. But I remember seeing a picture of him. So he went to this recipe. It was the first one he did, I think, when he was working for WWE Home Video. And he got sent there so that he could do a piece for... He was the son, actually, who he was writing their wrestling stuff for at yeah, the time. And he went. I just saw this lovely picture. of was, ah, oh, it's 40. Yeah, sexy boat. He's wearing a Shane McMahon top. <laughs> oh, I've never been so... Yeah, honestly, Dick had to go back in the pants because it won't get hard for that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I just want to pick you on one thing though. There, Zack Ryder never made it. I'm not, I'm not sure that's true. The guy had, I don't know, ten years in WWE. I mean, that's that's pretty fucking good, in fairness. Not everyone knows the main event guy. <laughs> no, not good enough. Main event or nothing. <laughs> no, I'm gonna use the Dolphin. No, I think the problem is, is that it's always made it, and I, I did use it in this context, like just consistently being used in a higher up position. But I think you're right, in fairness. He had a heck of a run, and he's done some wonderful stuff on the indies. All to his credit, yeah. Matt Cardona, and he's got that wrestling figure podcast, which I've never listened to because I don't care. But fair play to him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, imagine a. I'm going to use NFL because you're a fan of it, old man. But mm. you could use baseball, you could use any sport, football, anything. Being able to play at a major league level mm. for even a couple of years is a, an incredible success. It's an incredible feat. It's very, very difficult. It's very, very competitive. Zach Ryder effectively did that. Got to the major league. And, and competed for 10 years can't really say that's a failure so Shit. then <laughs> so then the new day come out and uh, there's a giant well the new day's music starts and there's a giant bootios box that the o's spill out of and then the new day emerge from new day rocks chants swirl around the arena and they <laughs> cut they cut a standard promo this is uh all specially set up for matt roberts to enjoy because he absolutely fucking loves the new day he just fucking loves them yeah oh they come with a fucking cereal box are you eight come on <laughs> you know what I gotta be honest, I don't mind the new day. I don't get nuts them, but this all did feel a bit laboured. I must say, like I thought, like not not the cereal box, but just their shtick felt very laboured and very forced. But I still oh love them. God, oh, oh no! The, the, the thing about them though is that they 
they just kept coming up with stuff to just keep mm. kind of keep themselves me you know relative relatively entertaining like i remember middle of 2015 or towards end of summer 2015 and the new day i remember on the squash the daily squash paul taylor sends me the new day the best thing on raw and i was like they are but that isn't a good thing like they're a mid-card comedy they're a mid-card comedy act which is fine has its place is not bad but it should not be the best thing on raw like no matter what you think of them it should not be and they were at one point because they were the only thing that was original or or kind of made sense week to week and they did keep coming up with stuff and this is one of those things the bootios thing they also had obviously the trumpet they had like just loads and loads of different bits and pieces that they just kept layering on just to keep Trump themselves in Trump, sorry trombo you're absolutely right trombo (laughs) sorry this is before their match with the league of nations a six-man tag match with three members of the league of nations them being seamus rusev and alberto del rio king barrett also was with them on the side this match goes for just under 10 minutes it ends when well there's all kinds of shit going on here so first of all um seamus hits the bro kick on xavier woods for the pin then there's some after match stuff so after the match Wade Barrett gets on the mic and uh, puts over the League of Nations. This brings out Shawn Michaels, then Mick Foley, and then Steve Austin to a massive pop who come to the ring. The new drag, the new day drag Barrett out of the ring, and the stars beat up the League of Nations. Soccer for Sheamus, sweet gym music for Del Rio, and a stunner for Rusev. Then all three hit a finisher on Barrett. The new day then climb back in the ring and try to get the three of them to dance. Austin briefly entertains the notion with Xavier Woods and then stuns him too. Oh man, you had uh, something to say. Yes, I've many, many problems with this. So what you have is you have the League of Nations, right? So you have a Mexican, a Bulgarian slash Russian, an Irish lad and an English lad. There's a joke in there somewhere. But this is an (laughs) international audience. So like there's always a bit. But then I was like, hang on, so you've got four nations there. They all hate the USA. Surely the USA are the hills. Surely they're the hills. Everyone hates them. Ah, oh, terrible. But anyway, that was just, just a bit of shit. No memory of the League of Nations. Anyway, not this version. Anyway, this is so bog standard. Like, nothing happens in this tag match. Absolutely nothing. Ball hammered by Barrett into a bro kick by Sheamus. Lovely old job. The best bit happens at the end when Barrett gets on the mic and he says that the, that the League of Nations are the lads that won. And I was like, ah, that's... That's it. That's great. I realised this is seven guys served up to get Shawn Michaels, Mick Foley and most importantly, Steve Austin out in front of the crowd. That's why this match happens. That's why we have to sit through 10 minutes of inconsequential trite, to be honest. Mick Foley and Shawn Michaels flat refuse to take any offence from anyone. So they just come down and completely shit. Mick Foley is, God love him, he is in such awful shape at this point. His body is obviously, like, fair play to him. Like, he's done a lot of work with DDP Yoga to get himself back. This isn't one of his golden phases. I think that's fair. Him and Mike, who don't allow anyone to hit them, they just go in and hit some people. Then they do their little moves and that. Austin takes some lovely hits from Rusev. Manages to like give him a little bit. And I was like, go on, Austin. See, this is how you do it. Because then all the stunners mean something. And that's what everyone's here for, isn't it? The stunners. Austin has his little dance. Embarrassing dancing, really. So do- oh, no, sorry. His dance is not embarrassing. Because he's joking around. Foley and Shawn Michaels dancing is ghastly. Like, absolutely horrendous. But it don't fucking matter, does it? 
because you get what you want. You get all the stunners. You get Xavier Woods stunned. It's what you want. You get Austin. It's Texas. You can't not have Austin. Add that into it's WrestleMania. You can't not have Austin. But fuck me, did it make me think about what Tinky raised right at the start of the show about the roster and how they have to lean on these guys. Like, they have to lean on Michaels and Foley, who are... To be honest, I don't think they're particularly exciting for the crowd. Even in Texas, I don't think they're particularly excited by both of them. They blow the roof off for Austin. But I was like, bloody heck. And then you've got, obviously we'll get to it, but you've got The Rock, his appearance later on in the show, and Shane McMahon in a prominent spot. Like, this roster is fucking ghastly because of the injuries, isn't it? But yeah, the match was crap. Afters were perfectly fine. And I enjoyed the stunners. No more, though. Don't want it. I think you probably perfectly encapsulated the entirety of this segment and match, old man, where you pretty much said, it doesn't matter. It's the New Day versus the League of Nations, which, like you said, who the fuck remembers this team? I mean, please, if you're out there and you remember this team and you have fond memories of the League of Nations... Send, send, you know, tweet us, send us match suggestions, their best angles. You, you send us what they've don't, got. Don't, right? don't, don't, don't send them. I don't want to watch them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I believe me, I, I'm this confident that they just don't exist. You know, feel free to send, send them our way. But my God, I mean, yeah, you, you want to talk about a team that just screams Job Squad originals, may as well have done. You've got Wade Barrett, Rusev, Sheamus, and Alberto Del Rio, who most are multiple world champions, intercontinental champion, US champion, and they just they just didn't take them seriously. And why would you? you know, it just they just were presented as just an absolute joke. And who cares that they you know that they even won? I mean, okay. You get the stars that come out afterwards, Stone Cold, Mick Foley, Shawn Michaels. I mean, I, I must admit, to see Xavier Woods get stunned, I just I just can't stand the New Day. So just to see Xavier Woods sent into orbit with a stunner just made me giggle. Yeah, how totally inconsequential this was. It was just an excuse to get the, you know, the, the legends out to kick their ass. Austin got the biggest pop of all of them, rightfully so, in Texas. The, the match really wasn't any good. No need to go out your way to see it. Yeah, this was shit. Yeah, I don't have much to add to that, to be honest. It was, it was, it happened. It was a match that happened. That's about what you need to know. Then there was the afters that were fun, but that's it, really. I thought you talked about Foley being magic. Well, I thought Austin looked in pretty bad shape as well, to be honest. I thought he looked a little oh, bit bigger than he normally would yeah, be. Yeah, he's chunky, isn't he? Yeah, a little bit. He has been to Margaritaville a few too many times. Because I remember <laughs> when I when I used to listen to his podcast, which I think probably finished around about this time, maybe a couple of years later. He always talked about having a margarita with his wife. I loved it. He just he'd always describe the making of the margarita as well. And I was like, oh, go on, Austin, you fucking legend. His drink is awful, by the way. His beer is. Oh, oh no. Oh, fucking dreadful. Nah, oh. nah, I'm not having that. It's fucking. I mean, it depends if you like an IPA. No. Well, that's. <laughs> Sorry, Steve, but fuck that shit. Yeah. All right. So when I was last in the US with my good lady, managed to get all three of them. So we did an American lager, a normal IPA, and then a double hopped IPA. 
the lager is the weakest of the lot, but delicious. Fair fucks to him. I mean, I, I'm an IPA man, so that kind of makes sense. They have IPAs in Wales? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do. Yeah, I'm a stout man. Sc- skull attack, isn't it? Is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the brains. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. After all this, we get Brock Lesnar versus Dean Ambrose and that stuff. We've gone through that. Then we see a Snickers advert, which is starts with Ric Flair and Zack Ryder. Flair trying to get Ryder to do a Flair woo, but Flair gives him eventually a Snickers and he becomes Charlotte Flair. What is this? It's just a Snickers lad. advert, oh man. Just a Snickers advert. <laughs> it's just lad. so it's so fucking weird. This is why I was just watching it. I was like, what's going on? Do you not remember the uh, the Snickers adverts? This was just along the same lines as a lot of Snickers adverts at the time. Well, they say, I do remember the average, but I just wasn't expecting him to turn into Charlotte. I was like, what? What's going on? I'll admit to not being sure who he was going to turn into. But then when he turned into Charlotte Flowers, oh, that makes sense. There's then an I love Bobby Zamora sign in the crowd. Then, oh, yes. <laughs> there's highlights of the Hall of Fame induction ceremony. This year, the inductees are the fabulous Freebirds, the Godfather, Big Boss Man, Jacqueline, Stan Hansen, Snoop Dogg, Joan London, who's the Warrior Award winner, and Sting, who officially retires during his <laughs> Hall of Fame speech. 2023, he is still wrestling. Then and the 2016 well, must be said. Well, I'm not sure he wrestles well. I think what he does is they just don't give him much to do, and then he's got about two or three things to do, and he does them fine. That's what he Ten does. And all in, he was great. Blew me away. Anyway, the, then the 2016 <laughs> Hall of Fame class are introduced to the live crowd by Howard Finkel. Then Michael Cole shows us a clip of Lita announcing on the kickoff show that the winner of tonight's triple threat match for the Divas title will be the first ever WWE Women's Champion. The fans are pretty excited about it, but they seem to have forgotten that there was a women's title a very, very, very long time ago. And for a very, very, very long time. Mm, exactly. Um, fuck off. <laughs> first one. Yeah, well, that's, that's Matt telling women to fuck off there. Um, <laughs> I the just want... <laughs> I just wanted to talk about the procession of the Hall of Fame class. Snoop impersonates Sting. So Sting goes, ah! and Snoop Dogg impersonates him. And when he does the like little point thing as well. And for that reason, Snoop Dogg's <laughs> getting my MVP. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I just Snoop Dogg just looked so happy to be there. He was just like, you know, I'm having a fucking great time, which by all accounts, Snoop Dogg always has a good time. I was thinking, um, actually, when, when you said about how Matt had told a woman to fuck off, Same. I imagine he'd been he'd been quite he'd been quite kind of jovial, as we said, prior to that point. So I'm assuming you just had a Snickers, did you, Matt? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Oh, that's lovely. So we then have a hype video clips of former women's stars then clips of charlotte becky and sasha as part of the divas revolution charlotte turning on becky sasha being added to the match this is all ahead of the triple threat match for the wwe women's title now uh charlotte flair versus becky lynch versus sasha banks a 16 minute match which ends when banks gets the bank statement on lynch but flair then gets back in and throws banks out of the ring and applies a figure eight to lynch who then taps out and wins the match to become the women's champion. The first ever in the history of the world <laughs> WWE women's champion. Oh man, what do you think of this one? Really good. I thought this was really good indeed. And I don't want to be a fucking cunt about it, but this felt like, and I remember at the time, like this was a proper game changer, like in terms of the presentation of women's wrestling. I know Matt's still angry about it because he thinks that they shouldn't be highlighted in these spots, but 
I think that this next to Sasha and Bailey at NXT Brooklyn are what changes people's perception of what women's wrestling can actually be. It changed the presentation of them in terms of what WWE do. I mean, they do kind of undercut it by, like you said, thinking making out that this is the first ever women's championship, completely downplaying everyone who's gone before. And Wendy Winter, girls just want to have fun, she said. She was a women's <laughs> champion. But yeah, I thought as well, in terms of the actual match, it starts off, there's loads of pinning combinations in like the first, what must be 45 seconds. And as immediately, what they'd done is they had solidified in the audience's mind that this isn't three women chucked together on a card because they want some women on the card. This is three women who fucking want to win this match, who fucking need to win this match. And I think that really plays out through the whole thing. And it starts with Snoop coming down with Sasha Banks doing her music. And you've got, and I know he's a fucking absolute mess, but Ric Flair being with Charlotte, the way that he always was when he was coming down to the ring with her, he'd always stand behind her and give her the shine. But he was always there adding some legitimacy as well. And also being an absolute bellend. You've got the obligatory dive by Sasha Banks, where she almost kills herself. Charlotte saves her this time, which is good because is fucking dicey. Becky Lynch takes out Ric Flair as he tries to get involved. Is absolutely amazing. The crowd go fucking nuts for it. And again, it puts the spotlight on the women because Flair doesn't do anything after that. Charlotte's moonsault to the outside from the top rope is as incredible as it is terrifying to watch because she's just doing it blind. And there's an excellent submission spot. And Michael Cole, pro that he is, possibly the best ever now, because he says there's no rope breaks in a triple threat. And I was like, <laughs> yes. Yes, somebody. Yeah, but yeah, I thought that in the just as a match, I thought this was fantastic. But as I said before, I think this really like set a completely different bar for what fans should expect from women's wrestling going forward. Obviously, wasn't always the case, but also is a bit of a fucking kick in the nuts. I thought to the women who've been wrestling on the main roster because this is three people who've come up from NXT, fucking blowing them out the water completely and utterly. I thought this was fucking cracking and it's my match of the night. Oh, well, this was my toilet break of the night. Um... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. No, it wasn't. Well, here's some interesting ways of looking at this match, though, right? I think it's easy to say in hindsight, but if WWE had any balls, this should have been the main event. It felt special enough to warrant it, I think. And the present, the, the build for it, I don't think was very good, to, to be perfectly honest. The build wasn't that great. That could have been miles better. And had they made it the main event, I felt they would have pulled their finger out of their ass and done that. But that's another story for another day. But, the you know, while, while they were telling the story of the match, there was lots of little things like, you know, Michael Cole saying the, the gear that Sasha Banks was wearing was tribute to Eddie Guerrero. You know, talking huh? about, you know, about Becky Lynch's, yeah, yeah. Talking about <laughs> Becky Lynch. Becky Lynch's early days, you know, being the Irish last kicker, that type of stuff, you know, Charlotte's early days. And there was lots of little things like that that made this feel really special. You said it all, man. The the entrance was Sasha Banks coming out with Snoop Dogg. My God, is Sasha Banks still was then and still is now. Good star. How the hell they let her go blows my mind. But she came out, crowd loved her. Becky Lynch, God bless her. She was Triple H levels of orange. 
Um, <laughs> in this match, I was like, whoa, a little heavy on the fake tan there. Might, might want to dial that back next time. But this was excellent. This was really good. They all worked very well together. The Sasha Banks' suicide dive, oh, yeah, absolutely Oh, cringe, but it was great. Uh, Charlotte's moonsault to the outside. Ric Flair paid his role perfectly. Becky Lynch as well. In all fairness, I, I wasn't actually expecting her to be that good at the time, but she was great. She still was and, and still is really, really good and, and was great in this. I could definitely see how she's, you know, it was a little bit greener then compared to now, but again, she, she played her role great. They all, like I said, they gelled really well together. They obviously, you know, know each other from their NXT days. And this felt like a genuine big deal. Crowd loved it. We're biting into all the, you know, the near falls and the false finishes. Charlotte winning, yeah, I think that was the right finish. But yeah, honestly, like I said, I, I really do feel that this could have been the main event. Obviously, they, they went with the, you know, 108th crowning of Roman, Roman Reigns as the man. But this perhaps could have been it. And, and who knows what would have happened um, if they did. But th- this is something really worth going out of your way to see. It's my match tonight as well. Yes, mine too. And MVP of the night, Sasha Banks. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Sasha Banks should just be given MVP of every every show that she's on because she is, to your point, Matt, she is a star. She is. She should have been, and I've said this before, she should have been their main star. Not main women's star, main star at this point. When she got called up from NXT, from that point on, she should have been WWE's main star in the whole company. She is that you know that much she's just got the presence she just looks the part she she carries herself in that way and she's great in the ring as well she just got the lot and she should have been their main star but yeah i've not a huge amount to add to that either what you've you've said i think it was a really decent match again i don't think it was incredible i think there's nothing that amazing on this show this was though by far the best match mm. and i didn't at the time perhaps appreciate it i think because i think i was expecting the level that we got from their nxt work and you know along with bailey as well that some of the stuff they did in nxt amongst the four of them was just were just excellent and on top of that were presented and given the position on the on the cards to make you think that they were a big deal as well so it just all always matched up whereas this still felt a little thrown out there in mm. terms of this position on the show the build as you said was was pretty poor and certainly when they first came up obviously they were just slotting them into those awkward trio teams that they had you know i think sasha banks joined naomi and tamina in the team team bad bad. and and (laughs) and becky lynch was with Paige and charlotte flair i think the poor name (laughs) the poor name yeah i can't remember what their team was called but it ended up um it was like a it was like a Pornhub name or something. They had to change it. Don't know. I don't know what that is. Oh, uh, and then of course, yeah, the Bellas with they were, were were the Bellas, but they also had Alicia Fox with them out of nowhere. That was that was really poor for the first sort of six months they were there, and they, they'd only recently gotten over it by this by this stage. And yeah, they they just hadn't presented them that well in the in the build up to it. So I don't think I really appreciated it from that perspective. Even though I hoped that they they could hit those heights. But watching it back now, I think it's really, yeah, it's really decent. And there is a good good reaction to it. So, yeah, match of the night for me. Great to finally see the women kind of presented in a way that that was that enabled them to do their job, which they'd not really been given the chance to do for so long. I've got it. I've literally just found it. And by the way, you want to be really careful with how you word searching this on Google because you'll get some interesting results come up. <laughs> but Paige, Becky Lynch and Charlotte were called the Submission Sorority. And that was a porn, it was like a porn hub name or something of a company. So they had to change it. What do they change it to? They change it to Team PCB. PCB. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> WWE, wow. big, biggest, most creative company around. Team PCB. 
Well, they just they just had the the last group, the League of Nations, that was a, a reference from the 1920s. So let's be clear, <laughs> they weren't exactly on top of on their you know hand at their finger on the pulse. After this, there's the hype video with Shane McMahon returning to WWE. Various talking heads waxing lyrical about the reaction that Shane McMahon got when he returned. Shane saying this is about legacy and setting WWE up for the fourth, fifth and sixth generation of McMahons and wants control of Raw. Vince agrees to give Shane control of Raw so long as he has one match at WrestleMania versus Undertaker in a Hell in a Cell. Then there's people talking about how dangerous the Hell in a Cell is. Vince calls Taker his bitch and says if Taker doesn't beat Shane, then at WrestleMania, then WrestleMania will be his last. Shane and Taker then fight after waffling about legacy again. Before we get to the match, I just want to say that for me, I'm going to leave out my opinions about Shane McMahon coming back. I'm going to leave out my opinions about that this is a match or anything like that. Just in terms of pure explanation and how this match was put together, this is about the most atrocious booking that we've <laughs> ever done. So when Shane came back to WWE, he, he's talking about he wants control of Raw. By the end, of, by the time they get to the match, it's now for control of the whole of WWE somehow. He just asked for the control of Raw when he originally goes down there. <laughs> then also, Vince McMahon puts him against The Undertaker, and you're like, hang on, The Undertaker's selected his own opponent effectively for the last three or four years. Now suddenly, mm-hmm. we're expected to buy that he's just going to be put into a match. And also, apparently, he can just... Vince can just tell Undertaker what to do. Now, I'm sure he can, but the point is, the Undertaker is supposed to be this otherworldly figure who decides his own fate and his own destiny at any given moment. And suddenly, he's just like, yeah, I'll face Shane McMahon because Vince McMahon had told me I have to. I mean, fucking hell. It just, it just didn't make any sense. Plus, Undertaker was a babyface, as he had been for years. Shane McMahon was a babyface coming into this. So how the Undertaker was fighting for Vince McMahon, I don't know. Yes, they then added the stipulation later. And it was important for me to say that that stipulation was added later. It really felt like they had got to sort of early February, didn't have a clue what they were going to do with the Undertaker of WrestleMania, needed something at last minute's notice and pulled this bollocks out of their head and were like, right, just chuck it out <laughs> and we'll figure it out later on as we get closer to WrestleMania. So again, foregoing any thoughts I have about Shane McMahon, about the match itself, just the concept of the story was fucking terrible. <laughs> I agree 100%. You basically summed up exactly what I had written down. This is the worst of the worst. This is the lowest of the low until the match. <laughs> oh, man, I, I, I almost, j- just to take the piss, I, I almost want to say something good about it, but fuck me, how can you? Christ, this was something that they, I feel like they just wrote this down on the back of a napkin at a local Denny's before WrestleMania. Like, oh shit, you know, take his rest in shame. What, what do we do? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. uh, that, that'll do, control, control, raw. Oh no, the company, cool, that'll do. Wow, well, was this shit allegedly and i don't know whether this is true but they obviously they because of the injuries and that didn't really have anyone for the undertaker and they basically said who do you want to face and he said shame at man because i'm guessing he thought quite understandably when you look at the card like you know triple h and roman reigns off the table you know that you look at the rest of the card and i noted this down i was like who else is like is he genuinely gonna face at this stage there's yeah, no true. one like he ain't facing Jericho. I've seen no chance. As I much as I say AJ, to be fair though, because apparently they, I don't know if they were friends at the time, but but apparently they, they are friends. Yeah. So he could have requested AJ. But this was too yeah. like he, as I said, this was he became friends with AJ Styles after AJ Styles proved himself, and that's my point. Is that they were going into this one with like, oh, Kevin Owens hasn't proved himself yet. AJ Styles hasn't proved himself yet. Well, fucking who cares? You're in you your last mm. chance saloon. You need some fucking shit. Get it in there. Get these guys in the big matches. 
Yeah. When I was like sat down thinking about it just before it started, I was like, "Fuck no, they really had nothing else, did they?" No, so they, fuck they, me. they were in trouble. They they did those injuries really did fuck the whole thing up. Mm. Because as I say, like sometimes you could have had you know four injuries, but it'd be two people that were in the same match anyway, so you just don't have that match. But I yeah. think genuinely that the four big matches, every one of them were impacted by mm-hmm. an, an injury that had taken place in that in the autumn period. So yeah, I mean I think that's what happened anyway. Undertaker does face Shane McMahon then in a Hell in a Cell match. 30 minutes long. (laughs) 30 minutes long between The Undertaker, who, let's be honest, since WrestleMania 29 hasn't really been at the, you know, hasn't been at his level. And Shane McMahon, a 50-year-old non-wrestler who hasn't had a match also for the best part of six, seven years by this moment. They give them 30 minutes to have their match in the Hell in the Cell. Mm -hmm. It ends when Shane McMahon jumps off the top of the cell then Shane McMahon does some more just bring it motions with his fingers to the Undertaker and eventually the Undertaker hits the tombstone for the win my immediate response to this was this is slow stupid over the top and pointless they've got Shane's sons in the crowd watching this and you're like what the fuck are they doing there like why are they there if you're any kind of a father you do not put them at ringside and after the match the medical cart comes out and they take Shane and carry him on a stretcher out and the fans applause as it gives a thumbs up a 50 year old non-wrestler executive has just had a match with arguably the most indestructible wrestler in the history of wrestling and he's still able to put his thumbs up at the end of it when in truth he was beaten by himself because he jumped off the top of the cell so on top of the build this is just a stupid match and in addition to all that stupidity this is the meat of why I was like I'm done because Given all the things they had, the problems with the injuries they had and the fact that they had very little going into the show, they were like, what can we sell WrestleMania on? And what they sold WrestleMania on was the promise that Shane McMahon would do something to risk his life to make this match good. That's effectively mm-hmm. what they did. The only reason people want to watch Shane McMahon matches is because he does do stupid things they'll risk his life for. That's why people were interested and that's what they sold this on. And I'm like, well, that's not a company I want to watch. I don't want to watch a company that sells the prospect of someone injuring themselves to a point which will be life-changing because and that's the only way you've sold this. Like, it's just, it's fucking, it was atrocious as far as I'm concerned. I still think it's atrocious. I still think it's a terrible match. And I, and I just have a massive issue with it just in general from a from a morality perspective to be honest so yeah that's my take on the Undertaker versus Shane McMahon over to you guys <laughs> I almost don't want to say anything because I, I, I don't think I could have put it any better than that let's let's start with um 30 minutes fuck off who decided that and why do they still have a job why are they still employed because that was a fucking dreadful idea you know that this show was what about I don't know, it was about two and a half, three hours in at this point, and they give them 30 minutes. That in itself, this is where my opinion on this show drastically began to reach WrestleMania 1 levels, and I was just getting absolutely more fucked off by the minute. So, so that that's the start. And to this day, this still winds me up so much. Now, I, I know Shane McMahon is kind of, the, the way he's been presented, it's, it's kind of, it's difficult to tell. Is he a wrestler or is he just an executive? Who knows? He's, he's, he's kind of been a bit of both. So he, he's had previous matches where he's had to kick out of stuff. Okay, The Undertaker, as you said, Ben, you know, probably one of the most destructive forces ever in wrestling history, hit Shane McMahon with one of his finishing moves, and, it, and it's called The Last Ride, and Shane 
kicked out of it. Mm-hmm. Just, I'm just, just going to let that silence just sink in, just, just for a second. He kicked out of the last fucking ride. You've got guys like Triple H, Brock Lesnar, The Rock, you fucking name it, who have been put down by that move. But big old tough bastard Shane McMahon kicked out of it. Now, the rage at the time at which this, and my, I can fucking feed it now, at which they, they sent me into, <laughs> and I'm fucking I'm going, the, the rage that they sent me into, I, oh my God, the fiery depths of hell. They couldn't have just done a rope break. He couldn't have grabbed the rope. Of course he fucking could have. That would have been acceptable, but no. So that was a terribly bad, ridiculously egregious thing that they did to start. You're right as well, Ben, that the match was so slow. And I I hate to see The Undertaker at WrestleMania like this, because, again, it wasn't too long ago I was championing Undertaker as potentially what I would pick as one of the MVPs of WrestleMania in general. You know, he had that incredible run of matches. And to see him go from that to this just makes me so sad because it wasn't any good. They were both bloody dreadful. Okay, you know, they they, they managed to, to get their way to, to the outside. And do you know what? It's weird because there are so many people I know who absolutely love Shane McMahon because he's willing to do that crazy shit. And honestly, the, the majority of people I know are fans love him for that. And I must admit, when I was younger, I did kind of want to tune in to see what crazy shit he was going to do. But that, that jump, there, there was no fucking need. There was just no need for it whatsoever. Oh, that was just dreadful in and of itself. And this is where we get to, and I get so angry with this as well, the commentary line from Michael fucking Cole, who had the paper in front of him at which he said and screamed the line, for the love of mankind. <laughs> if ever there has been a commentary line where I just want to say, fuck you, that was it. Because it was everything that's wrong with announcing. It felt so forced. Cole, you could tell, didn't want to say it. He was reading it directly from a piece of paper, which you can see on fucking camera. It was dreadful. Oh, like Even when I think of this match now, I often think of that line as one of the things that pisses me off about it most. Yeah, you know, Shane gets back, you know, when they get Shane back in the ring and he's doing the, yeah, bring it, I'm still alive. Why? <laughs> Why are you? You should be dead. Take a guess the win. All right, he fucking should have. But yeah, for, for Shane to give the thumbs up as he was, come on. You just took what should have been like the, you know, all the intents and purposes, the biggest bump ever in wrestling. And you can't even pretend that you're dead for just a minute or two. We can get, you know, an update later in the show. Tune in tomorrow night on Raw, see how Shane's doing. We'll provide you with an update, let you know he's okay. You couldn't have done that. This was so many shades of shit. I just don't even know what else to say. Oh, man, take it away. Well, I can tell you how Shane McMahon was, because he walks out on Raw the next night. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> yeah. I, like you guys have said, I can't suspend my disbelief that The Undertaker would not absolutely murder him. I absolutely obliterate him. Go back to the entrances. Shane coming down with his kids is, to your point, Tinky, incredibly stupid, because they shouldn't be anywhere near. But for a purely human point of view, that's fucking cool. He's got his kids on the stage with him. They come down around with him. But it is 
also everything that's wrong with this whole setup. He's putting himself over and he shouldn't be because someone has to be the heel and it ain't going to be the Undertaker. And because of the stupid fucking crap booking that Tinky so eloquently took down, Shane McMahon can't be the heel either. And it's like, what the fuck are you doing? And that's what makes the spot off the cell even more stupid. You shouldn't be doing it anyway. What are you getting from it? Like, literally, probably less than nothing because it's shit. Going back to the start of the match, I'm like, I'm sat there and I'm like, you want Michael Cole, JBL, Byron Saxton, Silent Saxton, that's what we'll call him. <laughs> um, <laughs> how the fuck do you call this match? How? I don't know what you do to call this match. They do a terrible job because it's terrible. Shane McMahon puts on a triangle choke on The Undertaker that lasts so long. And the commentators have to be like, he's been trained by the Gracies, don't you know? Very impressive. Very impressive. But come on. Like Matt said, Gracies were fucking old at that point. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. The Undertaker's fucking massive. There's a choke slam on the steps. But again, to your point, Matt, with the last ride, doesn't do him in. He then puts on the Hell's Gate, which I'm going to be sick in a minute because I have to describe what happens next. Shane McMahon puts on a sharpshooter <laughs> that the rock would bulk at and go, bloody hell, that's a bit shit, isn't it? Like, <laughs> e- even John Cena with his STF would be like, I'm not sure that sharpshooter is particularly believable, Shane. It's <laughs> horrendous. And then they then they go outside. There's like, Shane chucks on the sleeper to the Undertaker. Then they dive backwards through the table. Again, another thing that probably shouldn't be getting up from. There's a 300-pound guy who's just landed on him, through a table. Then Shima Man gets the toolbox out. Shima Man gets up first from that as well. There's a toolbox to Undertaker's head. And it is just so long, plodding, devoid of any tension. The only tension is when he's on top of the cell because it's fucking horrendous the fact that he's even up there and like tinky said all the way back at the start before we started talking about this match this is what it's for this is what the whole setup's for it's so that shane can do something incredibly stupid and go back to the lesnar match this is such a horrendous use of the undertaker even this undertaker it's such an awful use of him but like i said who else is there i despair buys the stretcher spot i cannot put into words how much i hated it i hated the fact that the undertaker had done vince's bidding i hated the fact that he celebrated it at the end what he should have done and it still would have been shit but he should have helped shame McMahon out of the rain that's what he should have done and just acknowledged that he didn't want to do this but he had to because he wants to wrestle at wrestlemania because that is what The Undertaker is. And like this has been said back to WrestleMania 28, 27, that he is wrestling at WrestleMania. That's kind of all he has. After this, there's an advert for WWE 2K16. And then Ooh, a video- Question, question, question. Was this the game that Ric Flair was really pissed at the media event? No. You know, promoting. Was that years oh, before? That's disappointing. Because it was, it was at a SummerSlam. Mm, disappointing. Because he got JL fired. <laughs> <laughs> then there's a video announcement for the the location of WrestleMania 33, which is Orlando, and we will be covering WrestleMania 33, of course, in two weeks' time. Right, it's now Angle time. 
just like we had at WrestleMania 31, there's a big long angle. You start with Lillian Garcia introducing the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders. They, I think they've got piped over music for their dance because it doesn't sound natural at all. Then The Rock comes out in front of the crowd and has a flamethrower that he plays with a bit. <laughs> then there's a long entrance, but the fans are pleased to see him. <laughs> there is a sign in the crowd, which is, hey, Rock, call my mum. And then a number, a, a very convincing number as well. 0792 something, 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 something. Oh, man, just uh, dialing it now, apparently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he then talks about the crowd and how happy they are for a while then announces that they have broken the WWE WrestleMania attendance record of 101,763, which I think we've fairly comprehensively debunked by this point. The Wyatt family's music then hits and the lights go out and the Wyatt family come out. Bright addresses The Rock, says he comes here as a reminder of the truth. The truth being that he chose The Rock because he represents greatness and it's a lie. I mean, what the fuck are you talking about, Bray? Wyatt says that this is not The Rock's moment or the fan it's his moment and says he's going to eviscerate rock and make the people watch rock makes some comments at rowan and stroman's expense the rock then tells why he knows who he is because he's been watching him says he's got the ability and charisma and says that he is revolutionary um however Wyatt continues to talk smack to the rock brock then takes off his top and challenges wyatt to a wrestlemania match either against him or one of his stable mates and the rock reveals he's also got his wrestling gear on it is at this point that the rock challenge is accepted by eric rowan and the two have a six second match in which the rock immediately people uh, immediately rock bottoms rowan and gets the victory after the match the wyatts then surround the ring but john cena's music hits and he comes out and backs up the rock there's a rock bottom on Strowman, five knuckle shuffle on and aa on rowan as well then wyatt goes after cena but the rock takes him down with a spine buster and a people's elbow this segment probably lasts for too long <laughs> i can't remember exactly how long it is but it's too long and i was it was at this point where i was thinking this is why this show is so fucking long <laughs> there's not enough on this show to justify it being nearly five hours but there is a heck of a lot of filler and this is some of that filler matt what did you think of it when the when the cheerleaders first came out and like I said, at the time, you know, I wasn't sure what was going on everything. I think just the vein on my head was about to explode of just like, is is there really not enough total shit on this show that we just don't need to see and is unnecessary just to keep it going for another 20 hours? Even like I am one of the, I'd like to consider myself one of the biggest fans of The Rock. And even his presence was just, I was thinking, I don't care. <laughs> I just... At this point in the show, short of you doing something fucking monumental, I just don't care. I, I'd had enough. It was cool to, to see Wyatt's entrance. Kind of cool to see him rub shoulders with The Rock. The fact that The, that the Rock kind of had his gear on just to have like a six-second match. I, I suppose for maybe, I don't know, maybe younger fans of Cena, it, it must have been a cool moment to see Rock and Cena team together for the first time since their Mania match. But yeah, th this was just utter filler. And even with two of the top stars that they got, it just wasn't necessary. I don't think I've ever in my life said that this show didn't need The Rock. Please take him off it. I think I'd say that about this show. This show did need The Rock. 
I think is the reality because this whole segment exists because of everything we've said earlier because they're so short they must like to your point about the length of the show they must have had something I don't know what given it was on the network it had to be five hours like someone must have had a hard on and they were like it's got to be five hours like it has to be but I gotta be honest I actually quite enjoyed this. I enjoyed it a heck of a lot more than I did the first time. And I thought it was absolutely fine. And I thought it it was just a bit of entertainment. I liked the fact that The Rock put over Wyatt as well. Like, I did like that. It did make me think, why is Wyatt not on the card? I'm assuming he was injured, so he couldn't work a match. But it did kind of make me think, why isn't he there? But I thought this was absolutely fine. And I think The Rock, is very flat at the start, very, very flat. But I think by the end, he's he's rocky. And I just thought, yeah, why not? You know what? It's probably, to this point, probably the third best thing on the card. Uh, yeah, I'll take something at this point. Because <laughs> as much as they, like I stuck up for the Battle Royale and its placement in that, I don't need it to be on there. I don't need to watch The Undertaker Shaman Man for half hour. don't need to watch Lesnar Ambrose. Don't need to watch that Intercontinental title ladder match. Jericho and Styles, yeah, I'll have a bit of that. Don't need the League of Nations and the New Day. But this, I'll take a bit of this because it adds a bit of that that, that rocky shine to a WrestleMania that sorely needed some Viagra in its penis. There are nine matches. This is six seconds long and this is still five hours nearly of this show. For my liking, even if, I, you know, for if for a moment I forget my objection to the Undertaker Shaman Man and the premise and the reason they had the match, you certainly could take out the Andre the Giant Battle Royal and this, and I would not be upset. This is a good half an hour, possibly a bit longer of the show that get rid of it and you've got a four hour show, which is a bit more manageable, a bit more like what we've been used to in previous years. So, yeah, this wasn't for me. And I didn't, whilst I quite liked the rock put over Wyatt, I felt like by the end of it, he'd already undone it by kind of basically destroying the whole of the Wyatt family, which is surely an extension of Bray Wyatt is the Wyatt family. And the fact that they were destroyed was all a bit like, well, okay, great. But now there's no point in even saying that nice stuff about Wyatt because he just destroyed them. I don't know why Bray Wyatt wasn't on the show. Presumably he was injured. I know Luke Harper was, which is why he wasn't in this incarnation of the White family at this point. Of course, Braun Strowman was now one of them. So after that, there's the hype video for the Reigns Triple H main event. It's voiceover by Raymond, Roman Reigns, which is pretty lame good guy stuff in general. Triple H then saying, if you want to be the man, you join him. So he Triple H is saying, you can join the authority effectively. Roman Reigns rejects the challenge by spearing Triple H. This was actually, this is one thing I can remember about the Reigns run which I did actually genuinely think was really good. When Roman Reigns attacked Triple H, it did finally some fire, finally something from him that made him like, you made you get behind him. You're like, fuck for that. Somebody's got the balls to stand up to Triple H and attack him. And then he had real intensity when he did it. I thought it actually worked really well. Then as a consequence, Reigns is, is forced to defend the title, the WWE title in the Royal Rumble. So it's not a case of the title being vacant at the Royal Rumble. Roman Reigns is the champion, but he has to defend the belt in the Rumble match itself. Then Triple H turns up as number 30 in that rumble and wins to take the title. We then see clips of Triple H beating up Reigns, interspersed with clips of his career, some pretty average rock song in the background. Stop. Pro- probably <laughs> called Hail to the King. I assume stop, it's called Hail stop, to the King. Stop right is, there. Is it called Hail to the King? Am I right? Yes, it is called Hail to the King. There you go then. I was, like I'm right then. Fucking event sevenfold. This 
was probably one of the best things of the show. I will not have anything bad be said about this video package. Well, we're not we're not going to get into it again, so um, it's fine. Then there's the big Triple H entrance that starts with Steph saying that everyone here exists to serve them. They are the absolute power and they own everybody. And then introduces Triple H. Triple H is flanked by Steph and some zombie type figures. And then Roman Reigns comes out to some booze. <laughs> mm. Do you want to talk about the build-up so, or their entrances? So the video is a video. It's not a whole lot of substance, is there? It's just a man versus a machine. Man, Roman Reigns, machine, authority. Stephanie basically plays her dad in the entrance. Triple H does a little slip that maintains his balance, which is good. A silly entrance, but it's a bit of fun, isn't it? And Triple H is in fan-fucking-tastic shape. Fair fucks to him. Like, he is in truly magnificent shape. He ain't got a roid in his body, I don't think. Uh, Roman Reigns has a lot of heat. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> it's not good heat, though, is it? That's the problem. Like, that, no. that's the thing. This, this is the problem. It's, it is. I, and I, I really think that Stephen hit upon the absolute truth of this is that John Cena's heat was always kind of pantomime type heat, heat that people reveled in. They enjoyed the whole process. With Roman Reigns, they didn't enjoy it. It was just pure, get this person off my TV. I just can't stand him being given the main slot again and again and again. He's not, I'm not interested in this. I don't want it. True. Yeah, he had some terrible heat. The the Triple H entrance, fantastic. The, the Stephanie oh, McMahon shit. speech. <laughs> Stephanie, the Stephanie McMahon speech reminded me of Ghostbusters. Um, I, I can't remember like the. Oh, yeah, Sigourney yes. Weaver. Yeah, the the evil woman, not Sigourney, the Ooh, evil woman. Sexy. Oh, I thought so, you meant sexy Sigourney Weaver. No, not her. Like the evil woman. You know, are oh, you a god? Whatever the fuck her name was, I can't remember. But it reminded me of that. I was like, oh, that's cool. I haven't seen it in so long. That, I, I watched you know, it relatively recently. It, it reminded me of that. Hang on, hang on, hang on. We just need to go back to Ghostbusters. There's the amazing bit where Ray stands and gets a blowjob from a ghost at the start, isn't there? Amazing. I must have missed that bit. <laughs> I can't remember that. Oh, it's amazing. Go on, Dan yeah. Aykroyd. Yeah, I've got a tape to double check. The zombies, I thought, were really were a nice little touch. It's just the, they're the workers, you know, the people that, you know, have to work for the authority. And I was like, oh, that's, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's cool. Look, all faceless fuckers who have to do what the authority tell them. I quite enjoyed it. I think that, that's a neat little trick that they've done there. So, yeah, entrance was good. And then uh, the usual Roman Reigns. Okay, boo. <laughs> I thought I thought the Triple H entrance was fucking atrocious. That was terrible. <laughs> anyway, so there's the match itself. Triple H versus Roman Reigns for the title. Triple H defending, obviously. A 27-minute match. I thought Triple H had learnt at WrestleMania 31 how to yeah. do a match. At this point in his career, clearly I was wrong. The 27-minute match ends when Reigns hits the Superman punch twice and then a spear and gets the win. Reigns then celebrates, and that's the end of the show. Not a good match, as far as I'm concerned. This is probably the worst of Triple H's main event matches, I think. I mean, I know, Matt, you hate the Randy Orton one with a passion. I think this is worse than that. I think mainly because Roman Reigns... So at the start of the match, as we said, there's some heat on Roman Reigns. There's a lot of heat on Roman Reigns. And so Triple H is kind of the de facto good guy, even though there's literally nobody more like dislikable than Triple H. He's the, he's the good guy because the fans kind of cheer him on. But the fans get bored of that halfway through the match. Because they don't like Triple H. So they don't want to cheer for him either. So they stop cheering for him. Eventually start cheering Nakamura instead. And then Ole Ole Ole. And then it's just played out before real 
kind of quiet. They're just there's just a just a lack of interest because they neither man are likable. Touched upon this at WrestleMania 31 review. What is Raymond Reigns' character supposed to be? What is it that we're supposed to like about him? I don't think they've ever given us a reason to like him. And then they have the trip typical Triple H match. It's boring, it's slow, it's dull, it's not interesting at all. And Roman Reigns wins. And again, for me, Triple H just doesn't learn lessons, just doesn't learn the lessons of the past. First of all, he's tried this so many times, he can't do it. He cannot do it. He is incapable of having the match he wants to have in the main event of WrestleMania. He then had the match against Sting. It's a perfectly enjoyable slice of nonsense. Go back to that. That's where you're going to get some headway and we saw roman reigns the previous year again against brock lesnar in a sensational match so either you have to make this a lot shorter so it's closer to that or you have to try and get away entirely from a wrestling match i think the worst of triple h's main event matches i really do oh man you know what i actually thought this was all right up to the armbar spot there's an armbar spot that goes long like fucking long and to your point, Tiggy, I think they've got a bit of crowd investment. And I think that if they had built from there, they could, could potentially have turned the crowd a little. But they can't do it because of this fucking spot. And it takes Stephanie getting speared to wake them up. And they would wake them up for, quite oh, blimey, 15 seconds, I reckon. And then the crowd are back, sat on their hands. There's not a lot that happens, is there, to be honest, after that? I think, and I think to your point, to you, like, because the crowd is so dead, it becomes so apparent that nothing is going on. And the finish, two punches and a spear to beat the ultimate authority in WWE, the man who's made this guy's life a living hell. Nah, I want a little bit more, but... I sat at the end, saw Roman Reigns trying to get a reaction out of the crowd. He doesn't um, go back to the very start, actually, when he comes down. He doesn't believe it, does he? You see it in his eyes. He knows he, this isn't it. He knows this isn't it. And he just doesn't seem to believe it. And it made me think, I was like, so what doesn't, when I got to the end, I was like, so what doesn't he believe? Like, does he not believe that he's the guy? Or does he not believe in like this? And then I was like, he's probably there thinking, this isn't right like what's happening in terms of the match because this obviously isn't what they would have wanted but what else have they got and i was like fucking hell like triple h is the best option they've got at this moment purely because they probably don't want to go back to lesnar again because they couldn't get what they had the year before because people would be expecting someone to cash something in. I don't even know if anyone had a briefcase at this point, but I was really disappointed because I I remember this being absolutely god-awful and having no redeeming features. But I think the first five, six, seven minutes is actually okay, and then they get to the armbar spot, and they completely, completely lost me. Very poor. Must try harder. <laughs> I, I've defended Triple H a couple of times, I think. And I know you two guys in particular have been down on some of his main event matches and the, and the way he does it. And I kind of feel in my natural polar bear nature, I've done my very best to try and defend that. Because there are times where I think, like, I know you particularly didn't like his WrestleMania 27 match versus The Undertaker. Oh, man. I know that's not a main event, but I know you didn't like Don, and I love that one. Mm. So there are times where I feel like his style has worked. There is... No way I can further defend him because this was, do you know what? I'm just going to go up there and I think this was the worst 
main event in WrestleMania history. This was so bad, and it shouldn't have been. It was just dreadful. Yep, you know, like I said, I can't defend Triple H anymore. You've tried, you know, you've tried with Randy Orton. You've tried with Batista. You've tried with John Cena. You've, you name the guy. You've tried to get that type of long, plodding type match, and it's just not what people want to see. In, in fact, and I know, I think you could make a case that people are kind of sick of the I'm going to call it the Brock Lesnar-Goldberg formula for the time being. I think people are probably sick of that type of style. But this is the match that should have been that type of formula, I think. The sort of smash-bang Roman just beats the shit out of him, destroys the authority. That's how they should have crowned him, considering, like I said, this was about, you know, a thousand and thirty-fourth time of crowning him champion again. That's how he should have ended, with him just fucking smashing him and and they didn't which you know is not i don't think it was the right move in hindsight but i mean my god you know like, like i said by the time this finished i thought it felt like a bit of an opener on a house show you know n- not not the main event for the supposedly the biggest wrestlemania of all time w- what a whimper for you know roman reigns is well, again is however many times he won the title at this point but you know coronation number five or six or whatever what what a way for it to go. This was not any good. Yeah, what a, what an absolute waste. I mean, this was his third title victory, but they'd all come in the space of the last four months. His first title victory only come in November of the previous year. And then he'd beaten Sheamus with the belt back when Sheamus cashed in the money in the bank. And then this was his third reign. The other thing I wanted, did want to mention about Triple H, I don't think this is, I think this is what he's trying, he's been trying to do his entire career. So my mind went back when I was watching this, my mind went back to Backlash 1999. So this is before Triple H has even become a main event guy. He has a match with X-Pac. We covered WrestleMania 15, where Triple H and China turn on X-Pac and join the, the corporation. Triple H and X-Pac have their feud match at Backlash 99. They have a 20-minute match, Triple H and X-Pac. They've got a effectively a really intense feud because obviously Triple H has turned his back on his lifelong friend x-pac and they have a wrestling match at backlash 99 and i remember at the time it played before absolute silence like it was just an absolute snooze fest it's like triple h has been trying to do it his entire career like trying to put all the audiences to sleep that he's ever been in front of and just occasionally got unlucky and the fans have reacted well to it that's what it feels like because by this point you're like what do you what do you think you're going to achieve by doing this again 27 minutes with roman reigns it's not like you're in there with eddie guerrero or someone you're in there with roman reigns i'm not you know, i'm not massively down on roman reigns as an in-ring guy but he's not a super technical super paced super athletic you know wrestler he's somebody who lives and dies on the reaction that he gets from the crowd yeah, if you watch his title matches of the last 18 months they've been massively successful because people care about the result that's the way you get roman reigns to have a good match you don't get roman reigns having a good match by wrestling with him on the mat and exchanging holds and moves it just doesn't work that way terrible not a, for me personally obviously old man except except that you feel a little bit differently but for me just unforgivable because triple h knows this surely he knows this by now he doesn't so no he doesn't no apparently <laughs> not. so let's this this wrap it all up let's give our um scores out of 10 our final thoughts and any other business we haven't done i haven't given an mvp yet and i'm really struggling for one <laughs> so matt let's start with you 
Uh, well, like you said, I did my MVP in match like earlier. So it was the women's match with Sasha Banks as the MVP. <laughs> my number for this show, I got throughout uh, doing this recording, it, it's gone up and down many times. Looking at it in total, I honestly can't see me giving it anything higher. It, it has to be about a two. Big time, Matt. Big time. Like it. <laughs> uh, oh, man. So I think outside of the women's championship match and the Jericho AG Styles match, there is an enormous dearth of quality in this show. The ladder match is dull, apart from a few spots, which is par for the course. With those things, the tag team match is nothing but way someone gets on the card. And to hear the Austin pop, Lesnar, Ambrose, Undertaker and Shane are absolute disasters. Like, built horrendously with no psychology at all. Like, just absolutely awful. I think the main event is okay, but that's a push. I think, for OK. And the issues, obviously, through all of this show is the build. I can remember it being, like, completely derided at the time. And as Tinky talked about at the start, the four major injuries take what would have probably been a far more energetic, engaging show and probably main event completely away. Like, the legs are cut out from under them. But also, to Tinky's point, the legs are cut out from under them in October, predominantly. So it's kind of unforgivable that they get to what you deem, Matt, and this is what they advertise it as, the biggest media of all time, in front of the biggest crowd they've ever had. It's just a really, really poor showing. Like I said, the women's championship match, Sasha Banks, Charlotte, Becky Lynch, it's my match of the night. Snoop Dogg's my MVP from Personate and Sting on the Hall of Fame procession. And I'm going to give this a quite generous four out of ten. Yeah, my rating is four out of ten. Funnily enough, when I came into this, I was before we started recording, I thought I'll give it a five, I think. And then That's the same as me. And then it come down to four about halfway through the show and I was legitimately considering mm-hmm. going down to a three by the end of the show, just having talked it through. I just you know, there's something about it. So I've I've been quite generous as well, giving it a four. My match tonight was the women's triple threat match i've decided that my mvp is going to be because he briefly did make an appearance at the start and it was probably the highlight of the night because i went oh yeah i've got it too now karsten schaefer the german commentator well done mate you uh, get MVP. <laughs> for a second i thought you were going to go for bobby g <laughs> <laughs> oh no i couldn't do that to you old man that wouldn't be uh that wouldn't be right oh, you're a good lad no I, I, I genuinely was looking through it and i was like i can't i cannot find I can't find someone who I think deserves this this MVP. It's just it's just not it's just not a good show at all. And you've taken Sasha Banks, who would be my default answer <laughs> at any point. So um, yeah, like just awful, awful stuff. And you get to this period of time, and you don't expect to see a show this bad. Like I accept Matt that you know in the mid 80s, um, and even at some points during the 90s, like there there's some there's some pretty low points that wrestlemania goes through in terms of the actual in-ring quality and the overall quality of presentation and everything but by this point by the 2010s and, and onwards even the ones that are average you expect to at least be average because the when you look at the roster regardless of what you think about like overall kind of star power or whatever the roster is still a good wrestler a good roster of wrestlers they're still good wrestlers throughout so you expect something to be pretty decent but in the main people either underwhelm 
or completely shit the bed. And I think Undertaker, Shane McMahon, Triple H, Roman Reigns for me are the two big matches of the night and they're just awful. Stars Jericho is good. The triple threat women's match is very good. And the ladder match is okay. Other than that, the rest of it is completely forgettable. And the rock thing was, I felt interminable, to be honest. I was like, this is, I don't need this now. Like, it's just too long and we've had too <laughs> much to get through. Like, I just don't need it. So that gives WrestleMania 32, according to us, an average rating of 3.33, which makes it the 100th ranked show that we've done from 115, mm. I think this is, the 115th, so it's mm. the 100th ranked of all time. Um, fourth from <laughs> bottom as regards to WrestleMania, so only ahead of WrestleMania's 27, 11, and 2, which gives you some degree of kind of representation for how poor it is. Nice. Well, thank you very much for joining me today, Matthew Roberts. Pleasure as always, gentlemen. And also thank you for your contributions, old man. Thank you everyone for listening. Obviously, it's been a we've been through some stuff. I mean, we're just approaching almost three hours of recording time. By the time Tiki gets out, oh my god, there will probably be a twenty minute little little <laughs> smooth smooth thing. But don't worry about any of that because you know what you've got to do. You've got to rate, you've got to review, and you've got to remember our boy and yours, Kenny Patera. This has been the Random Wrestling Review. We'll be back in two weeks' time for WrestleMania 33. But until then, take care.